Welcome to Herp Talk Radio. I'm your host, Matthew. And I am Peggy. And uh, this week, uh, we're going to do something a little different. We're not going to do our So, Peggy, How Are the Turtles doing? Uh, is there <laughs> anything new going on with you, though? Anything new that you've seen or uh, heard um, about that you'd like to discuss? Well, um, I am going to say a little bit something new about the turtles. I got them okay. outdoors. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I, only for the day because our nights are still dropping to 30. But, um, you know, it was nice to get the two box turtles outside in the habitat I prepared for them in the fall. And then uh, then a couple of my painteds that, you know, really need to get a good um, scoot shedding in. And so it was fun to be out there and do yard work and, and be with those turtles and and me watch them and protect them from the new puppy. <laughs> <laughs> How'd so, that go, by the way? Yeah, good. He's afraid of them. <laughs> <laughs> still so i'm I'm glad about that he he still thinks they're they're giant tarantulas so <laughs> that's good yeah that's good. <laughs> maybe at least if he's scared of them he won't he won't yeah. attack them maybe yeah and and then i've heard more from game fish and parks and and um i'm uh i and joel and his dad are participated in um uh, helping game fish and parks track listed species that we encounter when we're out doing our wildlife photography so that's been a, a fun conversation and, and a, a list like, oh, boy, we have seen some of these. And she goes, you know, and so we've been um, going to be sending uh, GPSs and, and photographs of, you know, a lot of the animals besides the reptiles, you know, some of the birds that we've seen that are on the uh, uh, rare and endangered um, list. So um, that's been the really new happening in during the week that's been keeping me busy and, and putting another task on my daily <laughs> um requirements nice well at least they're outside now well not permanently but at least yeah. they can go outside now yeah. and yes. that helps a little yeah it does and I, I can turn off a some, little bit you know <laughs> yeah and turn off some of these bulbs during the day <laughs> right yeah uh, so how about you what, what how's your reptile life or new um, things you know, there's nothing, nothing much new on my end. Oh. Still working on some stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. Podcast-wise, we got, I got that show that I have recorded. I'm still working on it, edit-wise. Um, it's going to be a video, oh. travel video. Mm -hmm. um, oh, cool. So, yeah, we'll see if we can I'm get anxious. that edited. I'm, I'm, anxious to see I'm that. excited to get it done, but I don't want to rush it. Mm -hmm. Also. I get up in the morning and video edit before work, so... Oh, my. It's like... <laughs> oh, how can you do that with a child <laughs> or two or three? <laughs> at least they're sleeping. <laughs> oh. Well, that's... that's yeah, they're not good. up at four in the morning. Oh, um, my God. Oh. <laughs> oh. Well, anyway, our guest tonight <laughs> is Ashley Hunt. And... Hi. Uh, Hi. Ashley, how's it going tonight? I'm good. How are you? Doing We're doing well. good. We, we have warm weather here in South Dakota now. St. Louis spring. It's finally like 80 over here. I'm tired of the cold cabin fever. I oh just want to be out. And where are you? Where are you at now? I'm Ashley? in Connecticut. Connecticut. Okay. Mm -hmm. Nice. Feel the cabin fever, though. I mean, we've been. <laughs> we. Yeah. We just <sighs> got done getting told we were going to get three feet of snow and then some oh, so yeah. Yeah. yeah what 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 
No, no, last week. Okay, last week I'm like, oh come This on. week it was 80. Yeah, <laughs> One day. Yeah. Right, One all day. week it's 80, and then like last week it was 40, and then it's like God only knows. New England goes from like, I don't know, like... 20 to like 81 in the same day it's so frustrating oh, yeah, just want to enjoy it yeah that's what we're doing here it's all you know 80 then 50 then, then you know it's like oh mm. come on <laughs> i just count my how many turtle days do outdoors do i have to this week <laughs> that's what i look and with at me the... it's like how many months do i have to count until i have to like keep my tanks cool inside oh right. yeah yeah oh. I, 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 go for it <laughs> I, I I was you know I, I knew very very little about axolotls and even how to say it you know and so I I was what I was watching some of the the videos you know today about like wow having to keep your tanks cool that's that's a new one mm -hmm. yeah it is I so frustrating and so expensive I yeah. did learn how to spell axolotl this week yeah. that's yeah. for sure <laughs> yeah um well, so ashley where how do where what where ah. <laughs> how do you do you get started in reptiles and amphibians because this isn't reptiles really it's more amphibians right so really it all started like when you're little so it's like you know you're interested in everything i was told stories from when i was younger i used to bring in like little garter snakes and newts and stuff in the house and just let them go apparently but um <laughs> You know, it's like when you take an interest to in something, your parents try to like make you happy with it, you know, so they just wind up giving you like the pet. I had um, leopard geckos. I had a Russian mm -hmm. tortoise. I think I had red-eared sliders at some point. But when you have family members that aren't really into that <laughs> kind of thing, it it's discriminating a little bit and kind of hard to get into the hobby. But it's like I respect them, so I'm not going to like want to push them and force them to have a creature that they don't like. My grandmother hates them she's does she thinks they're like gross and slimy and like the bugs i think what bothered her the most out of like anything like i remember like the crickets used to escape uh, out of like the um containers and i can hear her screaming from like miles down the house that there's crickets <laughs> on the floor so then after that point like when they all passed i wound up basically waiting until i was an adult to get them because i'm not going to force my grandmother to like have these mm. things in her house so I've always had a a very fond like obsession with animals. So I went into veterinary medicine when I was able to go to college. I was a veterinary technician student for some time. And then I worked um, at an ER down um, a few towns over. Mm -hmm. And um, doing that, it just opened my mind to um, herpetology. I always knew it was a thing, but like, they had an exotics department and you couldn't even imagine the things that I have seen with either like turtles or salamanders or even oxalotls coming through the door through an ER with like mm. suddenly these things have happened rather they were like hit by a car or severe neglect or, you know, they're borderline almost dead. Mm. And it just seeing how many of those came in versus cats or dogs was crazy and i was like i have to like it's sad that no one really cares either they really don't care or you know the education aspect where it's like okay i'm just gonna buy this because at the pet store it's cheap or someone was giving it to me or i want to be a nice person and rescue these animals but i really don't know what i'm doing i'm just doing it out of the kindness of my heart but 
it was just mind boggling to me. It was so upsetting that like, I just had to do anything in my power to like help the veterinarians and technicians get these handled. And then, um, about five years ago, my husband took me to new England herpetological society expo in Massachusetts. And that's when, um, he surprised me with my first oxalotl. I always knew like, how to take care of them, what to do, but it's like, I didn't have a setup or anything. He was just <clears> a spontaneous <throat> surprise. And my husband wasn't big into like amphibians and reptiles back then. So, um, we wound up getting everything that day, cycling that tank and, um, getting everything together. And he's still, he's behind me somewhere, um, in his hide. But, um, ever since then, it's just like, they are such weird anomaly like creatures. Like I have never seen anything weird in my life other than these things. I've been obsessed with them for years and him just surprising mm -hmm. me with one at the expo. Like mm -hmm. I literally cried. They are so they're so precious. They're so weird. They're so weird. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at them, and it's just like every time I go into the pet store down here, because I, I have four of them. So like wow. um I stock up on we on worms every week. Um, and I go into PetSmart and then I find myself having to explain what oxalotls are and I wind up having a tattoo and they're like, Oh, one of those things. I said, yeah, one of those things. <laughs> they're like, Oh yeah. Like how's the care on these? And I'm like, well, you know, if you have like a husbandry's everything when it comes to mm -hmm. taking care of them. So I'm like, you know, it depends on how far your research goes. My thing is, is like, you know, your research is only as far as your education goes really. Mm -hmm. So it's like, or your education only goes as far as your research, sorry. Mm -hmm. But like the more in depth you go, the more you'll mm -hmm. learn. Or if you're just going to stop at the basics, that's you <clears> might stumble <throat> upon some things that you might not heard of or wouldn't have thought to look into. And it could actually be kind of harmful. Mm -hmm. So did you, where did you hear about axolotls? Was it Minecraft related? Is this, oh, God, is, no. This, no. is this because no. of Minecraft? I'm just no. wondering because that's like how most people hear about axolotls. Oh, Let's really? Get real. so My no. kids are like, uh, I want an axolotl. I'm like, no, we don't. We don't want an axolotl. <laughs> like, not for <laughs> no, you can't hold it. You can't touch no. it. Right. Wow. And especially like my son, he's um, six and he's like, why can't we touch them? And I have to explain like they're very sensitive. They're like frogs. They breathe through their skin and like they're slimy you know like those um those weird sensory fidget toys <laughs> that are like filled with water and glitter and creatures mm. on the inside think of one of those covered in soap and water that's how it is trying to pick one up <laughs> oh my terrible if you don't right. have to pick it up i wouldn't even bother casper <laughs> i thought i got him accustomed to it just by picking him up and lifting him out of his tub during like tub changes while he was quarantined Mm -hmm. it, no, if I bother even touching him, he'll just blast off like a rocket, like and bang wow. into everything he mainly possible. Ooh. Yeah, oh, man. he's so I don't even bother. It just stresses them out. So I'm like, if I need wow. to get him out for whatever reason, I'll just use a giant net. Wow, <laughs> wow. I can't remember where I found them. I think I was in middle school. It was like biology. I was in um, extra classes, and um, it was like cleanup day or like I used to do these um, Earth Day things. And then they were talking about water and like all these creatures and like different kinds of like things all around the world. And oxalotls got brought up in like Spanish culture. And then it just like hit me like all like where they came from. And like it's I just think it's like so backwards and like dark their history. I think it, <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. 
yeah. a little bit, a little bit, and we're going to get into that. I'm yeah. very excited. Um, <laughs> so maybe let's start diving into that. Um, what makes a, an axolotl a little more unique? Because it's kind of a salamander, but right. not not really. But yeah, so, <laughs> right. So they're weird. So basically, they are. I'm, I apologize if I pronounce anything wrong. I can Google Translate. Like I did, like for an hour out of all these words that I looked up. I apologize if I butcher anything. I swear I'm educated. But they have a thing called neoteny, where it's defined as like they retain their juvenile form all the way through adulthood and they'll stay that way permanently. So unlike their very close cousins, the um, tiger salamander, they'll actually metamorphosize. They'll shrink their gills, their legs will get longer, their fins will go away and their eyeballs will become more prominent and they'll start to become more terrestrial. As for oxalotls, they'll just permanently stay in the water they'll come up for gulps of air if they need to like my girls over here they'll do it once in a blue moon or like they'll just breathe how they do they have um what's interesting they actually have three sets of ways to breathe oh wow and that's what i thought yeah they have their gill slits that are right behind like their um mm -hmm. their nice gill filaments that they have those nice pink things that are on the side of their head Mm -hmm. They also have very, very underdeveloped lungs and they mm -hmm. breathe through their skin. So I think that's pretty interesting that like Heck they yeah, keep all of that. But then also if they do morph into anything, they also have lungs. So it's like they kind of have like everything packed into one in case of like that just in case kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I, I was um, watching the video today that they were doing a lot of research on their you know, what cells are, are really helping these animals grow entire limbs. Right. And some of the ones that they were taking out of the water a lot, um, they, they were losing their gills. And mm -hmm. then, and then they, yeah, that's what, what I found really interesting. It's like, as long as they're left alone, you know, they'll stay in that juvenile state. Right. Right. But yeah, that, that is more that, you know, I'd love to hear about. It's like, okay. Right. <laughs> It's like yeah. they kind of have like everything in their life planned out before they're born, like with genetics. <laughs> it's like, okay, so if this happens to you, you have this planned out. But if this doesn't happen to you, you have this. And then you also have this other thing. It's pretty mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was amazed. Um, and then the, what was it that they, uh, they found that there was a difference in their thyroids, whether they mm -hmm. um, would change, you know? Um, and so then they, they added, um, what was it thyroxin to those mm. and then they became adults and lost their gills and were air yes. breathers it's like yeah huh <laughs> yeah so that's yeah. another strange thing it's um called like forced metamorphosis some of them um in the pet trade i guess you want to say um majority of them nowadays are mixed with tiger salamander DNA because you can crossbreed the two and then when you inbreed oh. them it just becomes more and more prominent that this gene mutation of them metamorphosizing becomes a thing or mm. I would never suggest doing it but people do it for god only knows why they inject them with iodine which forces them to metamorphosize over time but their lifespan is completely cut in half so yeah. to me they live for like you know, 10 to 20 years max with like um, 
proper husbandry. 20, when I look wow. that up, yeah, you wouldn't even think that. It's just like, you know, that's as long as like some reptiles and such. And I was like, oh, because even like some frogs and stuff don't even live that long. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But then, uh, they also, like you said, the thyroid problem. I follow this woman on um, Facebook. I tried so hard to find her um, page and I couldn't find it. Um, she rescues these, um, morphed oxalotls and she studies them actually, like she mentioned that, you know, it is a thyroid problem with some of them, or it could be a number of factors, but she's diving into it with like actual science. I heard, I so upset that I could not find it. Cause I'm like, I know this woman, she has everything I'm looking for, but I can't find it. Cause it's like, you go on Google and it's like, there's only so much you can really find that scientific based on these creatures. It's like, even mm -hmm. YouTube, it's like, they explain it, but then it's like, there's not much that goes beyond. It's like, what are the cells? What is this? What, what exactly is it that's doing this? And even scientists mm -hmm. are like, we're trying to figure it out too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Now, um, the ones that are forced to morph into adult mm -hmm. form, um, do they maintain the ability to regenerate their limbs as well? Yes, they do. Oh. Yep. Kind of like, um, I believe um, most salamanders and newts, I believe, have that ability. But with oxalotls, it's more in depth. So they're known to like... Um, whatever injuries they have or like another oxalotl bites their body parts off like their limbs or their gill filaments they'll be able to grow them back or it's like for science purposes um i know biologists are helping to try to understand their um purpose with trying to help people regenerate their body parts either if it's like a birth defect or an accident of some kind they'll cut like parts of their brains or their hearts or like certain things and they'll grow back it depends yeah. on like the severity of it. So it like has to be like, can't be like the almost the whole thing, but it could be like a decent portion, their brain, spinal cords, wow. just like um, their ovaries. So it's pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. Wow. So how do they live out in the wild? What is their normal habitat like? They come from um, Mexico City. I'm going to mispronounce this. It's called Examalico. I knew I was going to say that wrong, but um, <laughs> it's a valley in New Mexico. They actually have a, it's like on like the most high altitude. It's like this um, vernal pool, but so far it's pretty much dried up to nothing. And they're also mm. in um, the canals and waterways of Mexico City. So basically it's just kind of like little vernal pools, little, um, yeah, like canals, but they typically can't be found. I've tried to um, find articles in the past of like how many are left or or anything. And like you could find a few articles that say like, you know, there's 50 left, there's none left, or maybe there's up to 1500 or 2000 left. It's, it's crazy. They, um, what's weird, it's, um, they derived from, you know, Aztec culture, they were named after a Greek god, um, Exolotl, which I find ironic because he was a rebel god. He um, was supposed to be executed by other gods and turned into an oxalotl to try to <laughs> resist death. But the other gods found him and killed him anyway when he turned into an oxalotl. So, and it, I just find it deep, dark, and ironic that like Aztec kings back then 
eight oxalotls. So it's like you knew about this and then you turn into one and you die. <laughs> and now they're critically endangered because the culture still thinks that they're a delicacy, but I know mm. they're trying to change their um change their ways and such in their culture and they've actually opened up quite a few conservation projects. But um they live relatively i want to say very unsafe there it's polluted it's very um what's that word like infrastructure with people like the predation and native invasive species killing them so it's just a matter of helping them try to repopulate but with everything that's going on and the more man-made things are happening the smaller and smaller it gets and they they disperse throughout those canals. So they're going to have a hard time finding each other to mate. But, and, you know, with them being so sensitive and porous, they, the pollution mm -hmm. knocks them out. I, so I can't think of the correct word, but are they technically uh, extinct in the wild? Um, like nominally extinct or they, they just have no ecological impact because there's so little of them that they're, I can't think of the yeah. right word. There's I know what the, you talk about. We talked about it with Ryan mm -hmm. when we recorded last week. But <laughs> yeah, they're I think they're technically extinct, aren't they? Well Yeah, and it's kinda. hard for them to be found in the wild because they disperse so much because they're not gonna want to be somewhere where it's polluted or surrounded by like there's no structure for them to hide. There's like really nothing for them to hide in or you know species other species are trying to kill them so they're not going to want to be there so when scientists are going to go to try to collect them for study to see how many is there it could either be like you know like 50 or maybe only a few hundred so it's hard to really tell like so that's why they're pretty <clears throat> much saying you know they're exactly extinct because there's not an exact count that they can really put out there to say how much is left so the the ones um in captivity are i hope that there are a lot of people trying to keep them genetically pure you know without crossing them with tiger salamanders so that you know if right. yeah um is there uh how, how are they listed right now um internationally are they listed are they on the endangered species list um, I, I know in Mexico, they are 100% um, critically endangered. I think even worldwide, because they're only 100% found in Mexico. Mm -hmm. So they can't even be imported or exported out of there. It's illegal. I know um, other states, California, um, Maine is another one. And I think Virginia just lifted theirs, but they're illegal in those states. I couldn't find why. It could be because they could breed with tiger salamanders, maybe, but I'm not sure about California. It's a hot mess. But um, the pet trade is has its pros and cons, definitely. I would say it almost is kind of a doom, but also the only thing that's keeping them alive. Mm. So I would say that um, while some of them might be mixed with tiger salamander DNA, you do have those breeders that um, keep them pure or know who to get them from where they're just oxalotls. They're not going to anywhere near be related to their wild counterparts, but um, they'll keep them pure, clean, definitely genetic tested, well-bred. Um, mm -hmm. But 
I just read an article by this guy that I follow. Um, he's a scientist that works with them closely. Um, he said about like over 80% of oxalotls in captivity are all related. So that is a gigantic problem when you want to breed them because inbreeding in some species isn't really something you want to do because you lose either the good genetics or, you know, their ability to be immune to um, illness and disease and all of that. So, and then the birth defects come, like some of them will be susceptible to, it's like short toe syndrome where they literally have no toes and then they fall mm -hmm. into fatty liver disease or dwarfism and their life is cut severely short. Mm -hmm. But, um, so it's kind of like a mix, I would say, but there are definitely a lot of people out there that know what they're doing and mm -hmm. try to definitely keep them just as pets or you have those true reputable breeders that definitely do their research on who they're buying from. And then you have people that just want them because Minecraft. So Right, right. Um, yeah. Do you, um, do you know how... I think I read something somewhere at some point, which I hope you can help me out here, um, mm -hmm. about most of the axolotls that are in captivity have tiger salamander blood in them. So the majority of what you see is already mixed. And yep. we're just trying to keep it. Is that, that's correct, right? Okay. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's, awesome. and it's hard to tell. You can't just look at an axolotl and just be like, oh, it's that, because they you can look at larvae sometimes and they look the same but tiger salamander larvae has like a pattern to it as for oxalotls are like you have like melanoids which is like you're just all black ones and then you have your coppers which is you know it's like a brown coppery color and then mine i call mine the boring ones because i just have <laughs> casper's albino so that's mm -hmm. as plain as it gets for him but then i have two dirty leucistics so it's just like they're all white with like um dirty like freckles on their face and then my rescue that i just got she's just a normal leucistic she um she's just like a whitish pink color but um you it's hard to tell really if like you know the oxalotl you just bought from a breeder will ever morph into a possible um terrestrial oxalotl because of its dna so it's kind of like I don't know if breeders could test it by doing like, I don't know if there's blood panels for these things or something. I there would be I some way. Sure. I like bet no one's right. done the research. Right. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. if someone really wanted to or is doing it, would know. But it is a good question because I always wondered that. I'm like, how do I know? I look at Casper sometimes. I'm like, I swear to God, if I find you doing some weird stuff and I'm not prepared <laughs> for it. <laughs> He's my problem child. I love him so much, but he's, he's, oh, I can't. Wait, wait, what, like what, like what, what does he do that makes him the problem child? He has periods of time for some reason where he'll stop eating for like about a month or two. I don't mm. know if it's because of like, you know, salad, like, um, amphibians breeding times especially for salamanders are like you know early spring when they start to like arise out from like the cold into like almost summertime but with them i'm like you're you're captive bred so it's like i don't really like to compare captive bred to wild too too much especially if they've been in captivity for decades numerous but with him, generations right so it's like while they are i guess wild animals but um 
he, I don't know what it is. And he stresses me out. So then I tell him <laughs> to like, make sure that like, you know, are you losing weight? Do you look okay? Like make sure his gill filaments are okay. Make sure he has no like wounds or anything. I'll try all these numerous treats, but he hates everything I give him if they're not worms. God forbid. <laughs> I'm like, okay, here's a treat. Nope. Or he'll like, I have carnivore sinking pellets and he'll eat that. He'll spit it out. And I'm just like, you please just eat something. And then there's garlic guard that you could buy. People use it for fishing. You could like dunk the fish in there and it's more enticing to like fish. You can mm -hmm. use it for them to entice them to eat. And he did nope. And then randomly he'll just start eating again. I'll check water quality and everything. And I'm like, you are terrible. All my <laughs> other ones, forget it. Like Medusa, <laughs> she, I just rescued her um, from somebody that um, I'm glad that he admitted it. He had no time for her and um, he admitted it. He was like, you know, I feel so bad. I'm like, but he did take good care of her and I would rather someone own up to why they're getting rid of them instead of like them mm -hmm. suffering because you're not home. And he checks in on her all the time, but she eats like a cow. Like she'll have like two or three worms a day. As <laughs> oh. for Casper, he's like maybe two a week and that's it. Are you talking he, like earthworm size or night yeah, crawlers? Like night crawlers. Yep. Oh my. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's huge. Like she gets so rounded. I'm like, please, you're going to get obese. But I'm like, if she's eating it, but I'm like, I'm cutting you off after two. Like you can't have <laughs> yeah. more. Yeah. You act like you're emaciated and you've never eaten before. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you can't really say in the wild, but what would what would their role in the environment be? Like what is their behavior? Um naturally, not specifically captivity setting, but you can right. anecdotally see that too, right. you know. So what what do they do? Do they just hide all the time? Are they out exploring? Are they looking at rock? Like what 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 are they doing? Right. I would say that they probably um, hide around about because they are they're vulnerable. They have absolutely zero self defense. They have besides they have a sticky slime coat that's on their body, so that might not taste good to predators. But I guess if fish is going to eat them, they're going to do it anyway. But um, they don't have any defense mechanisms. Um, I'm not sure if they're nocturnal or not. I know my guys, they don't really like lights because they don't have eyelids. So I would assume that they would like to, uh, you know, go hide around in like log holes or like underneath bridges or like the canals that mm -hmm. they seek out. Um, their natural um, prey would be like different kinds of bugs or... Um, I think I saw like crawfish or like small little fish that they would eat. So I'm sure that they would keep like a healthy biodiversity. So it's like they would eat so many of these certain things to keep their populations in check too. So it's like, I feel like they had a good source in a, a healthy ecosystem, but not too much to actually make a big impact since they were also severely vulnerable themselves. Yeah, I, I would assume that, as you had mentioned earlier, with the introduction of non-native species, their behavior yeah. had to change because they had new predators they had to hide from that yeah. they possibly didn't have before. You know, different sized predators that made them more vulnerable. Exactly. Yeah. I would, they're definitely very skittish. Any kind of, like, movement makes them take off, and they're very, very... I would say like even amongst themselves, their behavior, they're not territorial. They're not going to go off and like attack each other or, you know, be malicious for space. 
but they can be cannibalistic towards each other if there's not an abundant amount of food source and when they are young. Mm. So um, even babies with breeders in captivity, they um, some do, some don't. Some separate them once their food drive really kicks in because they'll wind up attacking each other and biting their limbs off because they're constantly wow. hungry. I don't think they exactly know what they're doing. They, they, I think they all just collectively share one brain cell, but, um, they, I'm hungry. they're not, this looks like food. I'm exactly. going to eat it. Exactly. Yeah. They, I love them so much, but like they are collectively, like all of mine are just one collective brain cell. <laughs> but I would think like, um, basically it's like, they're just these sweet, cute, anomaly looking animals that just want to live but like everything every odd is against them at this point hmm. um boy i had a question it zoomed out of oh my you're head. were you gonna go down the uh the uh nature route or uh, can we move well, on to the captive setting yeah I, the, the captive setting because it sounds like the nature route is pretty toast you know yeah. um yeah because and... even i was looking up <laughs> Yeah, I'm and, like, I want to tell you guys as much oh. as I can, but I'm like, oh, <laughs> that, they're what, doomed. What? I'm like, everywhere I look, it's just dark and death. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> well, oh. the uh, I well, I, I noticed you like metal music, and so it probably has yeah. you know <laughs> put some put some of them on the album cover. But yeah. you know, <laughs> but I, I was wondering if you, <laughs> if you've done some um, uh, research into. Um, what professional zoo-like um, uh, entities that are doing um, uh, like assurance colonies? Work. Yeah, the assurance colonies of keeping genetically right. pure and and then trying to get in the you know genetic material that is you know like you said to get away from that eighty percent are related. You know, right. ha have you done any research into finding out what zoos are like entities are? cooperating with the Mexican government to try to find new pure genetic material so that they can have assurance colonies that have good genetic diversity. Have you, have you looked into that sort of thing? I did. Um, I just um, recently researched um, conservation projects. Um, I wrote it down over here. I'm going to butcher this so bad. Um, <laughs> there's actually um, a Mexico Zoo that just opened up not too long ago. It's specifically like an Oxalato Museum and Amphibian Conservation Center. They have over 370 different species of amphibians in there. So um, wow. what they're doing, it, yeah, it's you wouldn't. I would have never expected that many amphibians to be in Mexico alone. Well, it's crazy. Yeah. That's a lot. It but. Is. Um, <laughs> I'm just like. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, no. Did she freeze? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> hello, hello. Maybe she'll come back. Yeah, yeah. Oh, hopefully. Oh, oh, I, I heard oh, her. There, there she is. There we go. <laughs> All right. Very I'm mad. like, oh, no. <laughs> I was like, no, don't do this. We're on a roll here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, they, so Mexico has. 300 and some amphibians in the, you know, this is cool. We, I mean, I live like right. five, five miles from one of the largest reptile zoos, reptile gardens. And so it, it's interesting. I didn't know they had um, an amphibian zoo that, right. that that's interesting. I, I suppose they have I tree like, frogs. I, and, go there. I want to go right. Like, I and just all that go. sort of thing. <laughs> Basically, they're working together with um, the ICUN. So international union for the conservation of nature um 
they basically took an estimate to try to guess how many axolotls would be left in the wild. So it's like 50 to 1,000. They're kind of like taking a gamble, but um, they're working. Well, That's a pretty big gap. Yeah, yeah. Right. So <laughs> I even tried looking into that. I'm like, it's either really low or either high. I'm like, I don't. That's why it's like I kept. Well, and a thousand like, these... still not high, but it's yeah. a lot more than fifty. I could, yeah. I could probably right. keep fifty. I could not keep a thousand. Yeah, but did uh, okay. And before I, why well, I have this question in my head because my my brain is you know full of Benadryl. Um, <laughs> um, I see that <laughs> there it goes. Uh, okay, so like, are they finding that out of the fifty or one thousand, are they finding it in separate locations so that we they could have some genetic diversity, or are they yeah. finding it? You know, what 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 are they finding? So basically, um, they released over. Th this is another contradicting thing, and it was annoying me. They just <laughs> they stated that they released over two thousand specimen into the um exochamilico habitat so basically they separated these canals in new mexico by seven bureaus and released um 2000 into the exochamilico habitat so it's like they could become more diverse and like spread out so it's like it's more clean it's safe the people said that like those canals and burrows are more clean like than their streets, the pure water. So they're trying to help them reproduce with like the most clean environment and slowly take some to each bureau so they can keep swapping and mixing the diversity. So it's like, hopefully they can boost better immune system, maybe come up with hopefully, I guess you'd say like dart frogs, you know, maybe the things that they eat could eventually make them somewhat toxic or, you know, develop something to help them thrive. So it just seems like all of it's mainly human error that they're trying to fix over decades. So I would give them, you know, credit for doing it, but it just, the numbers bother me. Like, yeah. I'm like, Ugh. I'm yeah. finding like several different articles, like 50 and now they just released 2000, but they estimated this. And I'm like, yes, but like, if you estimated 50 to a thousand left, where did these 2000 come from? Yeah. It just, uh, obviously they cap captive breeding. Yeah. Right. They yeah. could be, um, coming definitely like maybe they took wild counterparts into um a breeding facility in this museum maybe they just bred in over an abundance and then when they are mature they can mature around nine months to 12 plus months mm -hmm. so um wow. as soon as they are able to breed they'll have at it they'll breed non-stop like even in captivity, you want to make sure you don't keep a male and a female together because he will breed her basically until she dies. They'll lay up to a few hundred to a thousand and such odd eggs, literally Holy 24 cow. hours to 78 hours after they breed. They can instantly wow. lay eggs. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. So that sounds yeah. to me as if they have some proto eggs and then once they're fertilized, then they develop into their something. Yeah. So I tried tubes. to find so many articles on like what they're doing but like they're just so weird that like when i research <laughs> i try to make sure i find like those scientific like pdf files from like legit studies or anything and not really go after like you know news articles or anything but it's like you know i guess they're kind of resourceful but it's like if i can't really find the main source it's kind of like just a giant question now you mentioned new mexico a, a number mm -hmm. of times um are you yep. Do you mean Mexico or, or New Mexico, Mexico City? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. 
<laughs> I just, yeah, I just wondered if that was a slip yeah. of the tongue or, or, or yeah. what, because I thought, oh, they're, they're working with someone in New Mexico University or something, but. Right. Okay. Oh, they actually are working with, I have it written down here. Um, they're working with the United Kingdom, Japan, and Cuba um, with this conservation project. So I'm not sure exactly how they're going about it or if they have like breeding facilities or some type of genetic thing going on in like the other countries. I haven't um, dove too deep into that, but it definitely seems like you can like go on Google and search up like, what is it, oxalotluk.org or something like that. And they come up with so many articles of um, certain science-based things, but I haven't found one any related to this. So, hmm. Hmm. So what what are their I mean uh, their behavior with one another? I mean, so it sounds like you keep them separate from one another, or um... I actually have um, my two males together, and then my two girls are in a separate tank. Um, they really don't care as long as you have a decent amount of space to house them. I think like the general rule is you can have twenty gallon long tank for one but any other oxalotl you want to buy after that you have to have 10 more gallons added onto that so for like two mm -hmm. it's like 30 and then so on but with mine um i have them in 40 gallon breeders they like more floor space because they mm -hmm. don't really take advantage of the height they don't really swim at least my guys don't they're they're just i call them decoration they're like living <laughs> decorations they just uh -huh. sit there hmm, so um enough. And they, they're, I'm like, at least you're cute, but, um, <laughs> that's what fish do. I mean, they swim around a little bit, but yeah. <laughs> and it's like, they have that occasional lay there and I'm like, are you alive? And I'm like, okay, you moved. Like, <laughs> okay. I'm like, I'm not all for tapping the glass, but like, are you hello? But, um, yeah, my two boys, um, they don't care about each other at all. I was worried about Casper cause I've had him for four years before I got, um, Fenny, and I quarantined my new ones for 30 days before I introduced them. And Casper just immediately just, nope, I'm going over here. He can, I don't care. But like, they'll be next to each other. I don't, they don't really show affection. Kind of like that controversial of like, do amphibians and reptiles show affection? They don't really care. They'll be next to each other. But I think it's just more of like, wherever I land or wherever I walk is where I'm just, I'm just going to stop walking or just be. <laughs> But um, mm -hmm. the female, the females too, they just, they hang out. They'll just live amongst each other. I've heard people and some breeders saying that like, you know, they've had aggressive responses towards each other or breeding responses where they'll like bite each other's limbs off or like mm -hmm. go after each other. And I have never personally experienced it, but it's kind of reminds me of like other animals too. You just never know. I don't know if they have like aggression in that kind of like however they were bred or if they're not fed enough because like i said before like with them being cannibalistic could be maybe they're not fed enough or just something just isn't clicked right maybe but um yeah now their mouth um their tiny little teeth they're almost like rows rows of teeth kind of like catfish or you know I'm right it's like think. sandpaper almost yeah how, yeah. how with with that type of dentition, how is it that they bite the limbs off one another? You'd think they would just be gumming each other to. <laughs> right. Right. 
I even wonder that same thing. I think it's because when they latch on, like even watching them eat worms, they'll it's kind of like an alligator where it's like they thrash back and forth really fast. So I think it's just like severing it really quick. And they have um, a more cartilaginous skeleton than they do calcified bones. So I think it's pretty much just easier for their limbs to like break off at that point to a certain point. It'll so, just pop off. So is yeah. it like some of those lizards that let go of their tail or is it a, a twisting yeah, I, it would, it's pretty like morbid where it's just like they're just going at it and ripping at it until it like comes off. Yeah, yeah like rip. Yeah, <laughs> instead of instead of a clean yeah. bite, it's it's they're uh, just ripping at it. Well, yeah, yeah, ripped yeah. off. Even watching so. them go after worms, I'm like, ew, you guys are so malicious. Like, there is no <laughs> like, you guys are too cute to be that mean. Like. <laughs> But even I would say breeding them um, can definitely change behaviors. Um, I haven't paired mine yet, but I want to. But um, I have a rescue and she's just pet only. She's I'm not I'm not breeding her. I don't know her genetics. Casper was a gift that was given to me by my husband. And um, he didn't ask for like the genetic makeup, which I don't I'm not going to blame him for it. So um, mm -hmm. just because I know that aspect, I don't want to take that gamble. But my two youngest I have, um, I want to find them good partners i just haven't really found a gendered one but it's like mm -hmm. when they're gendered they're more expensive so i'm like maybe i'll just wait a little bit mm -hmm. but um they're breeding they could be a little bit aggressive like my males male oxalotls will try to mate with other males if they really try if they want to they'll be they'll annoy each other i noticed with my youngest he'll um they drop sperm cones all in the water. You'll see like these little white pieces of like floating debris in the water. And like they'll take their mate and kind of like run them like a train through like the whole like where all like the sperm is laid and like hmm. aggravate each other. And it's like, you know, but they don't really snap at each other throughout the whole process. You so think they... like two males like getting irritated, but they just... I haven't witnessed any. So there's like no combat whatsoever then. No, and it's like that they're you've, both doing that it you've seen other. anyway. Yeah. Are, so are, they, are other breeders having that or seeing the same um, thing? I know, I know of one breeder. Um, he said that he had to separate um, his um, male because he was being aggressive towards her. He wound up ripping some of her gills off and like um, some of mm. her toes. So he doesn't know exactly why he was just like, and he he did it to almost every female that he was paired with. So he doesn't breed mm. him anymore. He wound up selling him and getting rid of him. So he's just like, you know, as you know, as much as it sucks, I can't have you harming my females. And it takes them a little bit to, you know, heal. It could take, depends on the severity. They could take up to literally a few hours to maybe a, a month or two to like fully heal depending on the severity but he's like i'm not going to risk because now i can't breed these females because that's too much stress on their body to deal with and then it's just not right he's like you know i can't lose my stock or you know all of this because of this one male so now did um i'm totally ignorant on yeah no you're okay me too that's why <laughs> we have her here yeah Salamander breeding and uh, ax axolotl breeding. Um, um, axolot axolotls, okay. <laughs> Blah. Um, it's a so <laughs> now, now the female lays eggs and then he'll coat that with sperm? Or how's it go? 
<laughs> so it's weird, kind of like how I described the um, the males running each other like a train, practically. So if it's a male and a female, he will drop sperm cones, and the the female will basically be pushed around the enclosure on top of the sperm cones, and her cloaca will open, and she'll just like suck them right up. Yeah. Wow. It's hmm. it's weird. I no. obviously haven't seen it yet, but I've seen some videos and like some breeding videos. I'm like, that is the weirdest thing I have ever seen. And she yeah. chooses to do this. And then okay. to have all of those babies like a day or like a few days after, it's it's crazy. She'll and so spend then she'll give so then she'll give birth to live babies. Nope, she will lay um eggs. It's kind of like um kind of like how frog eggs are where they're like coated in a mucus and they right. kind of look like little jelly beans. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then how long does it take for the babies to come out of that egg globule? <laughs> so if I'm not, I just saw um, a cycle picture. I should have had it up, but um, it could take roughly about, I want to say close to like a month for it, like the whole entire cycle and for them to even grow limbs. It doesn't take that long. It takes about like a month or two to them to actually fully develop into like something this size. Okay. Yeah, it's crazy. They develop super fast. Okay. Yeah, you said breeding in nine months to a year. That's pretty quick. Yeah. Um, wow. Just like my male, Casper didn't show he because they'll females have a flat bottom. As for males, they have um, a more prominent cloaca because that's where like I would. I don't like that's where their testicles would be. So it's like a very large lump. Casper didn't show until he was after a year. And I had Fenny and Hella together. They're related. So I'm like, you know what? I'll just keep them together. They've been together. And then I noticed one day that Fenny dropped and I'm like, oh no, you guys are, I'm, I'm removing you immediately. I'm like, you are way too young to have babies and you're related. No. And I immediately put a separator in and put him in with Casper. And I'm just like, I'm not doing all that. I'm like, I don't, and I'm like, I'm just like anxious for like days. And I'm like, I don't like, I have millions of tanks lying around here. And I'm like, but then I have to go get like a culture to make baby food. And then I have to go get another air pump. And I'm like, I don't have another extra cycled filter. I'm like, please don't have babies. Please don't. <laughs> oh my God. Whoa. I'm so anxious. Whoa. So we, that, okay. that goes into captivity. Before we get there, do you know mm -hmm. if most salamanders are not combative? And that's just normal in the salamander world? I don't think that they are, really. I think they're kind of just more docile and just pretty laid back. I think they only really get active during mating, like breeding season. Because even like the documentaries I've seen and things that I've looked up, I have I haven't really seen aggressive nature like displays. Because it's like, you know, you have like frogs, amphibians, they'll have like the displays and like they're vocal, they'll fight off other males and like the ways that they do. I've never really seen a salamander show any type of like combative behavior. Okay. I think it just might be them kind of just they just kind of chill. Like they vibe together, I guess. But there might be some outliers, but overall, probably not. Right. There might okay. be some out there. Right. Okay. Now we can we can keep moving on <laughs> right. with breeding. I just wanted to know because that's been in my yeah. head for a while. Um, so, captivity. How do you keep them before we even breed them? Let's. Uh, I'm want an axolotl. Let's say I don't, but right. let's say <laughs> I do. What do I? What 
what's the requirements? What, what's the care setup? Well, I would say like most fish, if one kept properly, you have to go through a nitrogen cycle, which basically is introducing beneficial bacteria to the filter that keeps your water clean. I just finished cycling this one behind me because I had some issue with like fly larva and it was so unesthetically pleasing. I wound up restarting my cycle. I regret every ounce of doing that because it takes forever, but it's like patience is your number one key with cycling the tank. And once that's fully established, um, you want to make sure your tank is definitely 20 gallons or bigger. Their water needs to be cold. So people argue about this aspect, but it can be within the 50 degree range, but definitely no higher than 68 degrees. Uh, mm. You could get an aquarium chiller, but they don't come at all anywhere cheap on the market. Like I use desktop fans if I need to um, cool my tank down just a few degrees, or um, you can convert like um, a mini fridge into a chiller. There's plenty of um, YouTube videos how to use like water, like um, garden hose and like hook it all up to like make a whole system. Um, it's, I, we tried that once we like blew out the, the fridge and I'm like, nope, not anymore. I'll just freeze water bottles and just keep doing it that way. I'm like, it's not worth it. Wait. Okay. But, uh, so with the frozen water bottles, you just put that in the tank or you put it on the yep. outside of the tank. Yep. Yeah. We'll put how, it right in. Is that, that's how you're keeping it cool then is frozen water bottles. I do that when I have nothing else, but normally I'm prepared like with my desk fan because it's like a decent size. You can um, dangle it over there. It's not going to fall in or anything. Um, it'll definitely take down my tank um, like five to eight degrees. So I never have to worry about it. But unless you get like those super, super hot days, I'll like freeze like a giant water bottle and I'll just um, attach it to like this inside of the tank and it'll just slowly thaw out through the day. But that's like my last resort. If I wow. kept having... Um, very hot weather i would definitely go out and maybe try to find um a chiller on marketplace or i love joining like those free pages around um my towns because you never know what you're going to find that people just give away for free because some people are like okay i know this item is super expensive and used i'm just going to get rid of it for free because it's a pain to sell so um i have yet to stumble upon um a chiller but i think so far throughout all of these years my tank has only gone the highest 70 but i bring that down even just with a desk fan by like eight degrees so they're still in like a good range nice mm -hmm. so yeah. I, I i take it that some people will have them in air-conditioned rooms or... yeah you could do that yep okay when I okay. used to live in an apartment, we used to live on the third floor with um, Casper. He was in a 20 gallon. I just put him like right next to the air conditioner. And it was just, it just sat at 60 permanently. And if it went off or like it was on like what eco-friendly were just turned on and off, his tank didn't even go up or down. So it was at a, a good consistency. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, yeah, I guess turtles are easier than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't have don't to keep them cold. <laughs> yeah. right. I'm like, that. I want to get a turtle, but I don't have the space for a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, yeah, well, you have 40 gallon uh, breeder tanks. That's about what, you know, I, I just have um, one 75 gallon setup for my older yeah. ones. But yeah, I, you know, and then yeah, like in, in the blizzards, if all of a sudden we lose electricity, um, you know, they, they just have a chill down and then they start mating. <laughs> you 
Oh my gosh. (laughs) You know, it's like, oh, the females are slow enough. Now I can mount her, you know, kind of thing. Oh my gosh. Taking advantage of a very bad situation. (laughs) Yeah. Turtles are weird. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so I usually keep the males separate from the females. So if I do want, you know, some mating to occur, you know, I, I chill the tanks or, you know, usually now with it being spring, you know, um, I'll have, I'll set up one tub outside and when the, when the water is around 60 degrees, I'll put the, the pair out there and, and they'll mate within two or three hours. And, and then, uh, then I, yeah, then I, I separate them again and, you know, it's just, um, yeah, it's, it's easy. (laughs) (laughs) It's really easy. (laughs) But yeah, it's uh, boy. I mean, it sounds like you know you really, really have to monitor. I mean, yeah. you know the, the the temperature and the filter, and it, you know turtles too. It's like eh, the water's getting a little. You know, um, you know if I if I don't draw down the tank immediately, you know it's like oh I'll, I'll wait a week because you know I'm I'm out of town or something. No big deal, <laughs> you know. But boy, I, I'd be nervous to be an axolotl mom. <laughs> Especially like when the power goes out. When we first moved Ooh. here, um, when we, yeah, when we first moved here, we had a power outage, and this is something that I would definitely recommend for someone that has any aquatic animal, but especially axolotls, because when your power is off for so long, there's no air. Fl- I have, but. Ugh, sponge filter so it's like that needs a constant flow of mm-hmm. air through it. even just like hang on the back filters it needs that constant water flow to keep the bacteria alive if it goes your power goes off for a certain amount of time there goes your whole entire filter so that take mm-hmm. it takes months to filter a tank even though if you use all these chemicals do things correctly cycling takes forever and that's why like i'm passionate about doing it correctly you know educating on how to like do it properly but um when we first moved here we lost power for about like a week or so and Mm. it was agonizing but they sell these things um they're battery operated air pumps that run off like those giant batteries so i wind up hanging them on the tank and then you could connect it to your sponge filter so it like um plugs into your wall outlet so anytime it knows that the power's cut off it instantly clicks on oh so it's always like feeding your filter um i have to set mine up now that i have like this 40 gallon set up and i definitely need to keep an eye on the weather and it makes me so anxious knowing that i don't have that set up because it's like what if the power company comes and i'm not home and the power goes off like there goes Mm -hmm. everything this tank cycle was so stressful this time and I'm so, it actually just got done yesterday and I'm like, yes, now I can put them in their house and now the podcast is tomorrow. I can sit here with them here and everything looks nice. But um, yeah, it, it's a real lifesaver. Like um, I wound up having to put Casper in a tub just because I was so worried, but like um, with the fluctuation of like the temperature, because we had no um, air conditioner and if the quality of like the temperature fluctuates too much, they can get um, illnesses, especially like fungus. And fungus, if it comes to sort like um, to a certain point, it can like harm their slime coat, their health, and wind up dying. Mm. But um, I was just so anxious. I'm like, thank God, I. Oh my God, I love these battery operated things. But for the most <laughs> part, it's like 
you know, they're decent to take care of. The setup's not relatively too hard. You know, you want a bigger than average tank, 20 gallons or more. Definitely whatever filter really works. Because. Uh-oh. Oh. <laughs> What's going it's on? me who lost connection. <laughs> oh, no. We're rearranged. I was like, what is yeah. happening? <laughs> and now it's all backwards. I don't know how to fix it. <laughs> well, this is a nice arrangement. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah. So I had a question, and then that happened. Um, let me look here. Da -da 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 -da. Um, so, okay, yeah, the, the rating, yeah. you know, they'll say, um, you know, like, rate this pet as far as difficulty, you know, like, they'll even have that with turtles, you know, like, this is for a beginner turtles, uh, th this turtle's yeah. a good beginner, this, this turtle is intermediate, this, this takes advanced, you know, to have, you know, this kind of turtle. So, right. what would you rate, uh, you know, for someone who wanted to get into this, you know, what type of rating would you give this? Um, I would say it. it definitely depends on the person for sure, but I would definitely say maybe a three and a half because like I said before, you know, your research is basically how far your education is going to go based on them. Like if you just go off on a whim and, you know, let's just say you do or don't cycle a tank will be, you know, if it'll make or break you at this point. So basically if you're not prepared um, it's definitely going to be extremely hard because with their water, which is very important to keep them healthy because they're amphibians, they breathe through their skin. Um, they're susceptible to illness. If things aren't done correctly, their water temperature is off. Um, they're susceptible to ammonia and nitrite burns. If, um, mm. the tank cycles off and, um, Basically, if you do your research, I would definitely say for me, they are, I want to say like maybe like a four because it's like still kind of challenging. You know, you got water changes you have to do weekly or if they're tubbed for whatever reason, you have to do daily water changes and you have to use um, a water conditioner. Prime by Seachem is um, mm -hmm. one of the best and you have to make sure it doesn't have like certain chemicals like aloe in it. It does something to like their slime coat, like it over thickens it or does something to it. Um, but I would say like, they're not too hard once you know what you're doing. Like, especially when your tank's cooled, it's cycled. You have to make sure you have plenty of hides. They don't need any heaters. So you don't ever have to worry about like, you know, it just going a wall or like cooking them. Cause they need very, very, um, very cold temperatures, but you can, a lot of people think that, um, you know, you got to make an aquarium look pretty. And uh, of course, it's like mine, it drives me nuts because I'm more of like a natural kind of like habitat kind of thing mm -hmm. where it's like the more natural I can have it, the better. It, I just like it. It's pretty. But like mm -hmm. um, the boys for right now, until I can find more, have fake plants and everything, which is fine. But um, it's gravel or um, rocky kind of sand that is what is also the doom of them in um, being pets. And people think like, you know, oh, they need substrate because they get stressed out or, you know, let's make this tank look pretty. And it's like, while you want it to look nice, there are different ways of doing it. Gravel can cause impaction and death because they, they're swallowing rocks and it's just going to collect in their system, kind of like a dog where they just go out and eat just random things. It, they're going to get sick. 
-hmm. and um, they'll eventually die or they're going to need surgery to get it removed. So the best thing is to just get super, super fine sand, like aquarium sand. Um, people that like a bit of color do, what is it, Crayola sand, where it's like you can get them as um, any kind of color. I know like some people for like um, the leucistics I have, they do like red sand or blue or green just to make it like pop with like make it look pretty. It is pretty. It doesn't harm them in any way. There's no harsh chemicals that'll like mm -hmm. harm them. So that's another thing that like anything that goes into that tank definitely needs to be researched. So then um, that just comes down to like really knowing what to 100% put in, like even walking into PetSmart or Petco, I remember I was out of prime and I was so irritated because I have two 40 gallon tanks and it's like, they sell prime. That's like literally this big. And, and I'm like, that's like one drop for both of my tanks. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't do that. It takes four milliliters in each tank of prime. And I'm like, um, okay, ex explain prime. Prime. Uh, I don't even know where what, I have it. Damn. What is it? Is that a bacterial culture to it's inoculate a, your filters? No, it's a water conditioner. So basically oh. it takes out any type of ammonia or um, bad chemicals that might be in your tap water. Okay. So um, I went into the pet store and I was asking them if they had like any type of certain chemicals because I have oxalotls and like they kept pushing and pushing and pushing me to like buy these certain things. And I kept trying to kindly explain like I can't have certain chemicals with them. So it definitely like it was getting on my nerves, but me trying <laughs> to like, you know, be an educator. And I'm like, no, you know, like doing research and like talking to people. I've joined so many groups on Facebook forums, Caudata, like there's so many things that I would recommend new beginners doing before even thinking about buying one or if you impulse mm -hmm. buy one, which some people do, which, mm -hmm. you know, I think like a lot of communities should come to terms that impulse buying is never going to go away and you just kind of got to educate appropriately as it goes, as frustrating as it is. Mm -hmm. But I would say um, even the, the people industry, who are in it do it. And it's right. like expos are, are a good example. Like if I go to an expo and I see something that I catches my eye as a snake keeper, I can keep mostly any kind of snake as long as I've got an right. enclosure for it. So right. I can oh, I impulse buy a snake. Right. But should you? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, I have this empty such and such gallon tank. Oh, I could put this in here. And it's like, while you can, you shouldn't. It's like that excitement, that adrenaline, like, oh, my God, like, oh, it's just like, <laughs> I'm not for like gatekeeping or like, oh, my God, I'm going to bash you. This is not it is frustrating, especially from like an education <laughs> standpoint. But I try to educate people where it's like, if people are coming for advice, do not criticize they're here for a reason regardless they're probably not going to take your advice anyway because there are those people that ask for advice and then they complain about the advice given because they don't like it or don't think it's right so you kind of have to just <laughs> i just yes. explain it as nice as possibly or i'm like okay you know i hope everything works out and then i stop commenting because at that point i just lost my patience but like <laughs> at stores it's just like i would definitely say yeah maybe like a 3.5 maybe four so it depends on really how in-depth you're going to go. But like Facebook groups, when I got Casper, um, have helped me so much. And like, you know, I mentioned that he was a surprise and like, don't be mad. Like, you know, and they were very understanding because it's like, you know, sometimes people just do it as a gift. And it's like, you can't really just stop these things from happening. All you could do is like educate the person appropriately because they're reaching out for help. Mm -hmm. But 
I would say yeah. just as a whole, their food is cheap. All they do is eat night crawlers or red wrigglers. The babies will eat um, brine shrimp. Either you can like do the culture yourself at home or you could um, order them or black worms. I have yet to start my own culture of brine shrimp. And that's like, they say it's relatively easy. They're like little sea monkeys. I think that's yeah. exactly what brine <laughs> shrimp is. Sea monkeys. Right. I think you're right. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's all they are. Like when someone mm -hmm. said that to me, and I'm like, "You're telling me that when I was younger, I had brine shrimp in my house. And I they were <laughs> yeah. They're actual shrimp." And someone told me that they were sea monkeys. Yeah, it just blew my mind. Yeah. I'm like, "How is this even like? How do you keep sea monkeys alive in like these little cage things to take mm -hmm. home?" I'm like, it just blew my mind. But <laughs> their food yeah. is very cheap. I even started my own worm farm down below, so it's like I can just have my own thing and then. They don't necessarily eat other bugs just because the exoskeletons are too hard for them to digest. Um, oh. I've heard of people doing freshly shed like dubias when they have like the white shells when they're like really, really soft. I just wouldn't recommend it as a whole. I know some people do it like as a treat very once in a blue moon, but mm. I don't like that risk factor of like that. What if mm. I'm like, I would just rather not do it. Well, now, are they susceptible? I know turtles are susceptible to um, the flukes and the, and the nematodes that crustaceans carry. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why I, I never allow snails and, you know, crawdads and such in with my turtles. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's why I, I like to buy freshly hatched um, captive bred turtles is what I did years ago. And, uh, you know, and, I, and I'm putting up with, um, you know, parasites from the uh, rescued turtles that, you know, um, passed, you know, like one of the um, box turtles passed a tapeworm, which I know she probably Ooh. got from raiding a mouse nest, you know, um, you know, they, those, you know, that they're the same tapeworms that, you know, um, cats and dogs can pick up from eating rodents. And so I, I like to shy away from wild caught animals um, yeah. for, for that reason. And, uh, and so I, I mean, do, uh, do, do these have um, parasites you have to watch out for that could come in, you know, from their food source? They definitely can. I'm not sure off the top of my hand what exactly what um, parasites I think, like um, definitely certain parasitic worms they can get. Um, I know through worms, I have never really heard of anything happening, um, either with like the bugs, but, um, this is a very controversial topic among the community with, um, fish. You can feed them fish, but they have to be, if I'm not mistaken, live bearing fish, but, um, and shrimp. I remember buying like little cherry shrimp from PetSmart, stupid me, never again, um, you want to quarantine um, any type of live food for 30 days, monitor them for any type of um, ailments. And then I wound up, I think, it, I don't know if it was like a hope worm or some type of worm that it had. And you could see it. It was a ghost shrimp. You could see it through its body. And I'm just like, oh, oh. Wow. I just like, granted, thank God they were cheap and not like the cherry shrimp or like any other shrimp that's like, you know, more than $5. But um I was so aggravated because I was so excited to give Casper something new because he, like I said, he's just a living decoration. I'm like, maybe this will get him to like move, but yet, cause he's albino, he's basically borderline blind. So how is he going to see these things anyway? I'm, I don't know. I was kind of like, yay. And now I'm like, eh. but 
I was so happy for nothing. Now it just hit me, and I'm like, why did I do that? If he's blind, like, how is he gonna see it? Like, <laughs> it's wasted money. But they definitely could have um, parasites if they eat contaminated live um, bearing food options. So that's why it's frowned upon to give them that. But then also feeding them live food besides the um, the worms is just a general no go because housing them with any other species is just negative risky um, yeah very because like a, even their wild um because like their wild counterparts like they have no self-defense so like fish will just go up to them they'll bite them fish are they're, they're annoying they'll go up to you they'll just <laughs> peck at you they'll bite your gills off they'll nice. you know they'll pester you so it's like they can cause damage or you know especially sucker fish <clears throat> they can um latch onto their slime coats and bite them essentially ruining their slime coat snails too they can also lead to impaction because of like their wow. hard shells yeah so it's just like they they just need to live in a bubble I, I told Casper <laughs> what that do, the what do, do they, they live in the wild yes yeah, this is why this is why right. they don't this is why they die <laughs> this is why you're not alive it's just like when i was doing research on this years ago and i'm like why did why were you invented just to die? I'm like, that is like really like everybody's invented just to like die. But like you were literally you literally were born with nothing to like save your life at all. Like no defense mechanism. I'm like, okay, you were just born to be cute and weird and slimy. And then, okay, see you later. <laughs> it's so sad. Well, that you know, this is one thing, you know, as a wildlife biologist, I've mostly studied, you know, large terrestrial wildlife. I didn't look into reptiles or amphibians much. Um, you know, it's always, you know, um, upland game animals and whatever. And, uh, and a lot of people will say, well, I give my dogs a bone because, you know, well, you know, um, to simulate what, you know, the wild canids, you know, the foxes and the coyotes and the wolves. I go, well, you do realize that, you know, we biologists find in the wild um, young canids that died from lacerated intestines from, you know, bone shards, you know, um, right. their teeth are, you know, um, just Google wolf yawning and you'll see worn down teeth and and that they they live an average of eight years in the wild that means a lot of them are dying young from such things that you think you know that the wolf lives as long as my dog and eats all these bones and they're fine no that is not the right. case and so yeah it it especially with what you're saying is um you know axolotls um uh, you know, they can breed at nine months old. And so their replacement um, makes up for the ones who die at, you know, so much, you know, they don't Pretty have much. to, they don't have to live mm -hmm. long to keep reproducing and keep the numbers up right. if they didn't have contamination and drying lakes right. and ponds and creeks and whatever. And so, um, and that, that's the, you know the nastiness of nature it's it's uh, it definitely you know? it's like if you guys just had that one defense mechanism i feel like they would be an invasive species because of how much they breed yeah. they can and literally with, breed and breed yeah. with how much they breed you just know that they're food yeah that's what they are they're yeah. food to whatever's yeah. out there because yes. they're having so many babies yeah exactly yep. not none of them are making it well not <laughs> yeah not many right. of them anyway right. so yeah. right. Exactly. Um, we did have a question in chat. Like, you'd yep. think that being in Mexico that they'd need a warmer climate setup. But, right. like, so why, how is there water in Mexico that doesn't get above 70 degrees? 
That's a good question. So basically, I think I mentioned before the um, Eximilico, um, their vernal pool, like or what's left of it, is at a very high altitude. So it's like um, the water's on the top. It's on the top of a giant mountain. So it's like the water up there is cooler. So um, basically, that's just because I even wondered that too. That was just basically that's basically it. it's just like the higher altitude, like the colder the water is up there. I don't mm -hmm. know if it's like shaded now, but I would imagine like uh, back then that like they're covered in like trees and rubbish and everything that would keep it and, like the rock formations keeping it cool. But I just think the altitude altitude alone and just being high up there is what keeps it cold. Because I even wondered that too. I'm like, how are you in Mexico and your water is really cold? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You'd think yeah. that room temperature would be fine, and then if it gets a little right. warm, like mm -hmm. it's okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Some people well, say keeping them at 70 is fine, but I'm like, oh, no, yeah. don't do it. <laughs> well, it's I've just had like, with my guys, but, oh. yeah, one of, um, one of the, the, the lakes and streams here in the Black Hills, you know, when you're up in Custer, you're at a mile high. So Stockade Lake, you know, is, you know, cooler than, you know, Angostura that's down on the prairie. And then, right. and then uh, we have even Sylvan Lake that's even higher and it, it tends to run much cooler temperatures um mm. you know and plus it's it's shrouded by tall um you know hillsides and and tall rocks that um it that it doesn't get as much direct light uh sunlight as the the wide open prairie lakes do right. and so yeah it's uh um so the turtles up there you know that i follow <laughs> you know mm -hmm. they their um growing season is shorter because it takes them a, a lot longer for the ice to leave those lakes compared to our prairie lakes so right yeah i, I could understand mm -hmm. do you do you know what the um elevation level is of their old habitat no i don't i should have looked beforehand but uh um, I think there is an article out there that states it, but um, no, I didn't write that down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I was wondering, you know, um, I can't right. remember what what the elevation is of Sylvan, but I, I think it's up around 6,000 6, and some, is it? I, yeah, it's six-ish, seven. Yeah. Seven's the highest we have, 7,500, so. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, interesting. Mm. Interesting. Um so, uh, go ahead. Okay. Um, oh, I, so I, I just remembered my question. Then go for it. Go for it. Because I'm going to uh, go into breeding okay. in captivity okay. and like a cycle. That's okay. where I'm headed. You know, like I, I can clean out one of my tanks and totally clean out the filter, but then I add what's called sludge destroyer. It's, um, mm -hmm. it's a bacterial culture to um, re-inoculate the filters. And they start, you know, you can, um, within... Oh, I don't know, six hours, you know, they've, you know, they've cleaned up the, you know, the, the, the water is crystal clear again. And, you know, instead of having that fresh water bubble, you know, um, uh, you know, cause I'm on well water, it tested right. well water. And so, and then dirt, and as soon as you put the turtles in there, you know, they're going to dirty it, but boy, that, that water is clean within hours. And so I didn't right. know if you, you must have to use something to inoculate your filters when you do a cleaning or you don't clean your filters that much. Um, with these filters, um, basically after they're cycled, um, you don't have to. So basically starting the cycle is you need an ammonia source. I like, you know, the controlled variable. You shouldn't have like an animal in there when it cycles, but um, you use an ammonia source and then it starts that um, whole nitrate cycle. 
but then once it's um established um i know people use quick start or like um something like stability or what is it dr tim's nitrifying bacteria where it's I don't know. I can't like say it's like maybe a gimmick or not because it's worked for me. And then other times it hasn't because it's bottled bacteria. You don't know if it's alive or not, or if it's mm -hmm. just a selling thing. Um, basically um, when you're cycling, you can use that to put it, the um, bacteria in there to start it. But then um, I know on the back of, um, I think it's both of them quick start and stability after every water change, you can put, um, I think so many milliliters of that back into the tank. Basically, it's not going to do anything. It's just going to feed it more bacteria because there's bacteria in the filter. So mm -hmm. it's not in the water, but um, it'll basically just keep feeding it and making sure it's healthy. But you don't have to because the bacteria will just breed and grow on itself. Right. But with my tanks, um, unless my filters get really dirty or they poop all over it and it's just gross, like you could, um, when you do a water change, you can keep a bucket of old water. You could lightly put your filter media in there, squeeze mm -hmm. it at least once gently, and then mm -hmm. put it back immediately right. in. So you don't want to sit there and like squeeze it, squeeze it, or rinse it underneath fresh water because then it'll just kill everything. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, you can add beneficial bacteria. It's not really going to hurt the oxalotl. I would definitely look into like what products you're using. I know the three that I listed um, are definitely safe. But no, you don't have to put anything in it as long as um, it definitely went through a true nitri um, nitrogen cycle. It'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I just lightly squeeze out. Uh, yeah. I, I use sponges and then, um, you know, and then the, the filter media stone. And then I also put in some lava stone too that can hold bacteria really well. And I want to get some of that. Yeah. It's, uh, and then the turtles like to play. Um, soccer with that about their tank <laughs> so you know it's they're, they're usually light lava stones and they they you know one one turtle really likes to nudge it from one end of the tank to the next i, oh had, my to God. <laughs> I had to remove it out of the living room tank because joel goes no <laughs> like we can't have nice things guys come on now trying to make this look nice for you and your room yeah <laughs> yeah it was just it too much you know I, I should have recorded them playing you know soccer with it <laughs> but yeah funny funny creatures <laughs> but go ahead you so still on the husbandry actually um mm -hmm. <clears throat> how often are you water changing i do a water change um once a week um i always um check my water quality too i have one of those api freshwater liquid test kits and i make sure mm -hmm. that i check it um at least in like the middle of the week to know where my um, parameters are at. So you want to make sure you have no ammonia, no nitrite and you, your nitrate can be, it obviously has to be there in order to be a true cycle. But um, you want to make sure it doesn't hit like above 40 to 60 parts per million on the chart. Cause then it can be considered um, toxic after a while. So if everything is okay, I'll leave it. I'll do a water change once a week, mainly on the weekend. So then I could just clean the whole entire house and mop the floor afterwards. <laughs> but once a week or yeah. unless like they're like pooping everywhere, their poop is like dust. Like they'll like, I don't know how they poop this big, but it'll like come out like, I don't know, like a bearded dragon poop, just like a <laughs> huge poop. And then it's like, I don't know, like they remind me of like a cat in a litter box. They kind of just zoom right through it and then it just breaks apart into dust. <laughs> So if it's like really like gross or like not aesthetically pleasing to me, I'll quickly like people use turkey basters to like quickly clean up like the poop particles and like they'll just discard it. Or you can just I have one of those. Um, what is it? The Python 
siphons that connects to your um sink right yeah and then i'll just do a quick bottom um clean and then i'll just fill it up if i have to fill it up again but, now how much of the water do you take out at each water change two-thirds half i would take um maybe a little bit more than half or especially like if i am busy and i didn't do the weekly water change i'll definitely take more than half but usually i take yeah about like a half maybe like 55 percent of it so it's like it, i don't know if you could see it but maybe like up to like here okay ah, like up to okay. like this line gotcha so okay. it's like not too bad so it's like so my filters aren't like basically to where my sponge filters are so it's not like they're going to touch air and then i'll just fill mm -hmm. it back up okay yeah that's that's kind of what i do i've got um the uh fluval u4 um filters mm. that i lay down at the bottom and you know two in each tank and i mean the and then i i draw the water down um to you know about a quarter of an inch um above the intake and they've got intakes on both sides right and you know and then um uh and then then and then i don't have to unplug the heater i i don't have to unplug the um the filters i just take it down and, and I do like what you do, you know, take it off the bottom and, uh, right. and then, um, then just, and then I, I use a hose that, you know, in the winter I drain from, you know, siphon, um, from the tanks into the shower, um, this long hose going from the living right. room to oh the shower <laughs> or, or <laughs> from the, the bedroom tanks to the, mm -hmm. the shower. And then, um, and then I, I've had, uh, different attachments and then I use that, um, I purge the hose. And then I, um, uh, after I purge the hose, then I, I put it back in the tank, and then um, then fill the tanks with the hose. I don't do buckets, you know, like at all, you know. So oh it's, my god, I used to do that. <laughs> yeah. We do that for the fish. Yeah, um, I, yeah. Get get a hose. Get get a, one of those white, um, uh, what they call RV uh, hoses. And well, the, the and fish tank is right next to the window. Uh -huh. So what I should actually start doing is just okay. spewing it out the window and watering the grass with it because it'd okay. be okay. Like it'd be good for the grass. Yeah. Let's be yeah. real here. Um, yeah, but what about in the winter? What do you do? Or well, I haven't done that yet. I also have thought about my yard smelling like fish and how much my dog would love to roll in that. Oh. And I am good on that. <laughs> no, see, I, I take the tur I take the turtle water, and then uh, then when I do clean out the filters, like I do that about every. Uh, I mean, since I I've got two filters, you know, they each filter is a sixty five gallon U four, and then I've got two of them in a forty gallon tank. So you can about imagine they they you know that I only have to clean the filters out about once every other month, and right. you know when when I realize that they don't have any more draw and. Uh, and so when I squeeze out the sponges, um, ever, you know, um, just enough to, so that they're, they're clear enough to, uh, have good, um, flow through them, you know, then I put all that brown water, um, on the plants outside and boy, do I have fast, uh, growing shrubs and trees. Yeah. <laughs> I should do that to my house plants. They're not it, looking so good. <laughs> it, it's very good fertilizer for plants. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, uh, what kind of filter are you running? I know you said you have a, like an air hose that is ran off of a battery. So I'm thinking like the sponge filters, you know, that the air bubbles up through. Is yep. that what you're using then? 
Yep, I okay. have um, one of them. Um, it's not set up to the battery operated one right now, but it's set up to just like a regular air pump. That's that that wherever my hand is. Yeah. Oh my god, that thing up there. <laughs> that was <weird>. um, <laughs> I have a sponge filter. That one's my smaller one from when I got Casper. So that one's twenty gallon. But I upgraded to, um, I think this one's like 60 to 80. It's like one of those dual sponge filters where it has like the little canister at the bottom with the sponge up top and like this giant hose that comes up and it like sprays water through like the top. But um, I don't remember what brand that is. I got it off of Amazon. It was like some weird off brand looking sketchy thing from like Wish. It's pretty much, I'm like, I'm just going for it, I guess. It was a cheap price because some filters I refuse to spend depending on the creature. Like I know turtles definitely need like a good filtration system, but like oxalotls, they don't create as much waste as people think that they do. It's like, um, they act like goldfish. Goldfish are gross to me. It's like, I'm not like trying to talk junk about like goldfish, but like they are one of like, you know, the yuckier end of like their waste is very high, but, um, they don't produce a lot of waste. So it's like sponge filters or like those, uh, what is it? Flu valve, um, flow valve, like the regular hang on the back filters will do just fine. As long as like the filter, I like to go bigger or like I have double kind of like what you said, Peggy, where you have like the two. So it's like the extra filtration. Yeah. So it's so good. So it's just like mine's, um, I want to say between them both, maybe a hundred gallon filters in there between the two of them. And then I just ordered um, on Amazon for 20 bucks. I got four 80 gallon sponge filters and all I have to do is hook them up to the air pump and that's it. So it's just wow. like, they're so cheap and they're so efficient. And it's just like, you know, you don't have to deal with like, besides the power outage, but at least they hook up to like the, um, that battery operated pump. Cause like the, like if a hang on the back filter goes out, what are you plugging yeah. that into? Yeah, it, right. it, It's so bad. I'm just like, there's something needs to be like invented. Like if I was smart enough, I would definitely try to figure out <laughs> to make something right. efficiently for everyone. Cause it's like a lot of people take their aquariums very, very intensely. And like, there are some people mm -hmm. that have like either aquaponics or like those beautiful, like landscaped, like, pieces of art with like beautiful yeah. fish in it. and it's like once that filter goes it's like catastrophe mm -hmm. but um yeah i used to have a flu valve like i hang on the back and then all of a sudden it just started making these ungodly noises mm -hmm. and like it just stopped working it stopped i have t taken it apart i've cleaned it i don't know why it just left after only like a few years of having it and i've had the sponge filter in for five years and it's still there's nothing really going to happen to a sponge filter you don't have to change like the padding in the back or replace it like you do a hang on the back filter it just keeps going it doesn't deteriorate a uh, question the um now do you have the sponge encased in plastic or the oxalotls do not bite the sponge nope they don't bite it at all they'll like sit on top of it so basically it's just like it has a little stand then like the sponge and then it has like a little um plastic like tube and then the air tube goes through it to like push the air like through the sponge and like up the um that little tube i think mm -hmm. it's just so like the um 
the air dry. tube doesn't like pop off or anything. That is, right. I hate putting air tubes on things. It is so <laughs> terrible. I busted my fingers trying to put them. And it's like, it hurts after a while. Cause you're yeah. just like, how does this tiny little air tube fit over this little air hole? I don't like my husband will just do it perfectly fine. I'm just like, I, I, I use, I use a, a, a pliers and, oh and then yeah, and, and guide it on there. I mean, I, I, I feel for you. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, I'm, so I'm sorry. I don't you. get it. I mean, it sucks, <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. yeah. Just like I have to replace this one because I think the air tubing that I have on it is too, I want to say like squishy. It's not like the harder tube. And it just mm -hmm. keeps the air keeps blowing them off like the other two because I have like the check valve down here mm -hmm. and it keeps like popping off. So I think the air pressure oh. with it is too high. So I have yeah. to use like a thicker air tube to keep it on. I just haven't been replacing because every now and again I'll just hear like this really loud like deflating noise and it's like that. Oh, no. And I'm like, Yikes. God, if I didn't realize that, and because it's like, okay, if it's not connected to air, your bacteria is gonna die. And I'm like, I will be damned. <laughs> this happens uh. in my cycle that I have been so patient for i would i would literally i would cry oh my yeah, god yeah yeah i i've um i had to go to the in-tank filters instead of the, the on the backs because uh, we have power outages so much out here oh in my. the forest because trees will fall on mm -hmm. the electrical line and then then once that on the backs would drain out then they would run dry they don't like a lot of them can't prime themselves and i was afraid right. of a that the, the motor would get hot, it could start fire, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so, you know, now when the electricity goes out, you know, it's just the filters stop. And then when it comes back on, the filters just start up again. You know, I don't have to worry about a, a dry filter motor running right. and, and, get, and overheating. And now that I'm a, a stay-at-home retired turtle and puppy mom, <laughs> you know, um, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, I, I bought this, um, it's called, Title 110, it's a, an on-the-back filter, but the motor is in the tank. You know, it, it instead yeah. of the mo instead of the motor being on the outside of the tank, it's on the it, on the inner draw tube. And so it's 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 suspended down in the water. So it primes itself, you know, um, you plug it in and it and it just and it goes. You know, it wow. um you know, you don't have to, you know, add water to it for it to prime. It just, it just takes the water right from the tank. And I, I haven't put it up because you have to um, put the level of the, uh, the water of the tanks um, to about only three inches below the rim. And I just haven't done that yet <laughs> you know to, to i i won't i want somebody I'm, I'm such an over engineering person i want somebody to go into my crawl space and tell me how much weight i can have in this aquarium before oh my god <laughs> i raise raise the water on my 75 gallon aquarium to to use this you know this filter so you know yeah i i, I just want to make sure i'm not causing nothing problems. breaks in <laughs> i just right. put in this gigantic piece of driftwood i bought it from um what is it slither and swim it's like a few towns over they're like an exotic um shop i bought this gigantic piece of driftwood and then i went to go put it in the tank and i'm like it's on a stand and i'm like this is gonna fall through the stand and i kept asking my husband i'm like oh my god what to buy this is it get, like it's going to ruin something it's gonna fall it's gonna crash everything everything is gonna die or like get a electric <laughs> like 
I'm like, See? why am I? He's like, fine. I'm like, why am I like this? Or it's like, <laughs> I have rocks, like river rocks in their tank. And I'm like, Casper is going to like shoot off like a rocket and bump into this rock and it's going to ricochet into the glass and there goes all my life on the floor. I wish I, Joe, I wish Joe was here to me. I'm going to have to play this part over because <laughs> it goes, oh, it's not just you. <laughs> oh my God. No. I'm just, I'll just sit it's here like... and I'm just like, my anxiety, just like watching them, like, because sometimes they'll get spooked if I walk by because it's like they're not expecting something. Like, right. I, people say that they could see. I think Casper's just blind because he's just all by, he, feeding him, I, I have to drop something on top of his head in order to eat it. The other babies, I'll just throw worms in there. They'll find it. Uh -huh. he's just special he's a special case but like <laughs> you walk by him and he instantly like freaks out i don't know if it's like the shadow or the sudden like vibrations on the tank but he'll like blast off into everything and i'm like great now i gotta check him when he comes out did he cut himself did he lose a limb oh. and i'm just like stop <laughs> oh, God. He's, and like the other ones are just there perfectly fine i'm like it's just you stop <laughs> well that's why yeah joel feels so bad when you know the turtles are just totally zoned out and sleeping and basking <laughs> under that and then he'll go over by the tank quickly and and we have his camera storage <clears throat> underneath um one of one of the tanks and he'll 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 go over there real quick to grab one of his camera bags and then the turtles will awesome wake up and freak out and he goes oh, i'm so sorry <laughs> it's like oh, right. whatever <laughs> you, know, you would think that like all these animals would get used to it it's just like you yeah. know we are here like do every day i walk past you 10 yeah. million times i have like my youngest kid like i'm trying to teach him not to but he'll go up and like smack the tank real quick i'm like oh god please don't do that yeah so it's just like i think he's just i don't know but like he's good with it now but i'm just like please stop touching it but like <laughs> he won't freak out for that but like you know he'll freak out if i walk by it i'm just like all right like whatever casper like, that's that eighth of a brain cell <laughs> um, <clears throat> for real. Are, are you talking about the axolotl or the child the axolotl, oh, the axolotl. for sure okay. um yeah just don't let the the child take a rock and see how strong the aquarium oh, oh, is no 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 one of my friends all the toys are like in his room i even said that for a reason i'm like both kids i'm like anything that's hard or ball shaped or that could be thrown needs to stay in, in a room i'm like you can have stuffed animals out here or like anything squishy but then it's like my son threw a dinosaur at the tv and it broke that so i'm like Ooh. toys need to stay away like you can have a playroom we can keep the door open no toys are. <laughs> they wind yeah. up out here anyway, but then it like sets my radar off. I'm just watching them. I'm like, please. Yeah, there, there's one toy that I don't let him shake around the aquariums. It's one of those big, long, knotted, thick rope things. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, he 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 can't play with that near the aquariums. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so well. Um, so do you have a? So do they have a cycle? You talked about breeding and how the male will grab the female, and run him across his sperm, which is very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah. do you have to like? I'm sure you have to cycle them to get them to do that. So what is the cycle? Is it colder? You're already keeping them at 68. So are you dropping them to like 40, or what? Pretty much like. Kind of like other reptiles, too, where, like, you know, when you change their water or change their habitat or clean it, they automatically, like, have different behaviors. So I noticed with my two boys, um, especially, like, they didn't do it during the winter. So I wonder if it's, like, a seasonal thing, too, I realized, because they didn't do it all winter until, like, you know, spring actually happened. When they're, you do a water change and their tank is already, like, 
50 something and then it's like it'll be like 48 by the time i'm done and it's cold their metabolism will slow down a little bit but they'll still be okay but then they're all over each other i'm like these are two males just dropping sperm cones and like bothering each other and it's like they're both trying to do it at the same time so it's like they're both dropping sperm cones but they're both trying to push each other at the same time wow. and it's like i find myself just watching them and i'm just like <laughs> Like, uh -huh. I don't know if it's like mildly inappropriate that I'm kind of like staring at you and I'm what like, but it's like the science doing? part of me. I'm like, what are y'all doing? I'm like, Casper, he's too young for you, but you all are both boys. But like, I can't, I can't say much, but like, come on mm -hmm. now. But like, I notice, like, I want to pair them with um, their own male and female. I just got to find that right one. But I've seen other breeders too where it's just like that certain time of year especially like when the um amphibians start to wake up around new england at this time or like other areas when it starts to like thaw out they'll all start to mate where like you know the water temperature drops and like they just come to life mm -hmm. and they'll be all over it yeah and and that's i i had i noticed that um you know uh one of my cats was up near my control board and uh how i and I, I just kind of ignored it and then by the next morning i noticed the the two girls in my larger tank were starting to do the mating dance with one another and i'm like i think that cat turned off the heater and sure enough um i went back there and she must you know she must have got caught or something because to pull that plug out of that control bar it's like or she just pulled it out a little bit it's like what did she do and the heater was off and it only took um you know, about, oh, I don't know, 18 hours. And the, and the two female turtles wanted to mate, you know, and, and the tank had only dropped down to, um, what was it, about 69. And, and uh, yeah, and, and so a lot of, I guess I've never had to worry about um, brewmating the turtles to get them to breed. <laughs> right. All you so, have to do is just give them some chilled temperatures and boom, they're at it. It sounds like <laughs> axolotls are the same way, just a little bit colder than normal yeah. and they're right. ready to go. So it's not even like a huge drop. It doesn't right. seem anyway. Yeah. And it's by like what just you're sticking saying. your hand in there when it's freakishly cold. It's like that painful, like chill, like your arms just hurt. And I'm like in there rearranging wow. and I'm like trying to like, cause it's like, I just cleaned the tank, another sperm everywhere. And I got to clean, now I feel obligated to clean it again because it's gross. <laughs> and then I'm like, what's the point? They're just going to do it again. But then it's like, my friends will come over. They're like, oh, what's this? I'm like, we're not talking about it. Okay? Like, <laughs> I just cleaned it before you came here and they had other plans. So I was like, so good thing that my females aren't in there. <laughs> so then, uh, I mean, can't you vacuum that up with hardly taking any water out or? Yeah, I probably could. But then it's like all since it's a 40 gallon and like they drop mm. loads of them. Oh, it's just. Mm. Yeah. It, uh, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, whatever, or, guys. And Have so what, what happens if you take like a, a really fine fishnet? to the sperm sacs? I mean, do they break apart? I think it's like relatively. No, they don't break apart, but it's like they fly away i guess very easily or swim away very easily it's kind of like trying to like pick up their poop particles it just kind of disperses everywhere i probably could i never thought about using a net i tried turkey based thing but it's like you have to sit there keep like sucking it up and you have to put it in the garbage or like it was just so time consuming so now i just kind of leave it there or unless like i don't know if it'll like harm my water quality or not so i try to clean it up as much as possible because i don't know if it'll like decompose or anything or like ruin the water quality you guys are going to have a talk amongst yourselves. I've got a puppy that's whining at the door. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> right on. We'll kick, we'll kick you out to the green room and 
put you back in when you get back. Oh, um, where were we? I totally <laughs> lost it. <laughs> totally lost it. They're they're breeding with their uh, yeah temperature. Uh, you know, I think we've pretty much. Is there anything else you have on axolotls? Because I would still like to hit on your education stuff, and we are running out of time. Um, I would say I pretty much hit everything, you know, like if people wanted to buy one, I would definitely recommend doing intensive research, not just like, you know, how you could just put something on Google and the first article pops up, just read it. I would definitely do in depth, definitely go into YouTube, watch the nitrate cycle. Um, just make sure everything is safe, join forums and everything. Um, oh, one thing that I really suggest to have on hand was medical necessities. So I'm not saying like, you know, be a veterinarian or whatever. If it's definitely something that should be seen by a vet, don't try to do it yourself because you can actually wind up killing your animal in the process. There's actually- anything, um, just not axolotls. That goes for everything. Exactly. So um, like there is some stuff with axolotls that you could definitely do yourself that because exotic vets are very expensive, but I never recommend, you know, doing anything by yourself or unless like you know what you're doing or it's like not surgeries, not like intensive care, but um, treating fungus for oxalotls is something that you could do yourself at home. It's not like you're going to kill them or unless you do it for a very long period of time. So Casper will get fungus very once in a blue moon. It can happen if your water quality is off just a little bit or if the temperature fluctuates on and off. He's only had it like once or twice within the five years that I've had him. But um, you can get plain black caffeinated tea and you could brew it like you would like you're having a cup of tea. Let it cool and get super cold. You would have to tub them in, I don't know, like a Tupperware container or any type of tub. Um, you would put them in it with cold dechlorinated water. So like your um, water conditioner, like Prime. Um, add the cold tea into it and you would let them sit in it for about 15 minutes, no more, or it will cause circulation problems and they'll start to have problems. They'll die if they sit any longer. Um, basically what it does is it clears the fungus in a very natural, easy way and not invasive. Like people are like, oh yeah, use salt baths, but salt baths on oxalotls when they breathe through their skin, think about it. It's, it's yeah. going like to pouring, pouring salt on an open wound. It's going to, it's going to burn. So, um, Tea baths are fantastic. You could do it two to three times a day for tops 15 minutes. I've done it with Casper maybe like twice that one day he had it and it was gone. I wouldn't recommend taking a Q-tip and scraping it because they're very fragile on their filaments and like their slime coats. Um, it'll fall off on its own or even if you tub them in cold water, sometimes it just falls off even just by you taking them out of the tank. But um Indian almond leaves are another fantastic thing that I really recommend to have in your um, tank. Um, they are leaves that do the same thing that black tea would, but they don't do anything to their circulation system. So basically they release tannins, which is a chemical that can help... Um, with antibacterial and antifungal properties. So it's like you keep them in the tank. Your tank will turn like a tingy, like my girls have driftwood in it. Driftwood had tannins in it. So um, it'll release that chemical um, 
and it helps keep them healthy. So it like, you won't really have bacterial infections or fungus and it helps aid in it. Not saying that it's going to be like a hundred percent, you won't get it. It just helps keep it at bay, but, um, it might mess with your pH a bit. So you want to have, like, I have activated, um, what is it? Aragonite, um, coral substrate in mesh. Definitely keep it in mesh or you can get like the, um, very, very fine sand. So they don't eat it. They're, very dumb anything that's smaller than their heads they will put in their mouth anything so it's like any small rocks pebbles um any other tank mates oh another thing i forgot to mention that's very important never house two different genders together or different sizes because obviously two different genders they're going to mate non-stop and if you don't want that then you can definitely people say it's inhumane, but I would rather people do this if they're not ready than rather take on the responsibility of possibly like a thousand eggs. Cause it's not, it's not cheap. Um, you can gather them up and put them in a Ziploc bag and put them in the freezer. That is the most humane way to do it rather than putting more pets into the pet trade that shouldn't be there when we're, it's already a humongous problem. Mm. But, um, in the different sizes, um, the big ones can eat the small ones. If there's definitely, even if there's like an abundance of food or not, like the big ones, they'll just wind up eating like the small ones. Like Casper, I want to say is about 12 inches. Mm -hmm. um, when I got my two little ones, they were like the size of my pinky. I would never recommend wow. putting in, yeah, I would never recommend putting in a fully sized adult with mm -hmm. babies because they'll wind up just eating them. Mm -hmm. but definitely keeping some medical things on hand for fungus, not so much bacterial infections or parasites. That's something you should definitely go to a veterinarian for. And even if they, um, let's just say they cut themselves or lose a limb, I wouldn't say that's not something necessarily you would have to go to a vet for, or unless like it's actually looks really, really bad. You can, um, the, uh, Indian almond leaves help, um, heal over the, heal over like any um, bacterial infections that might start and keep it clean. So you can keep them in your tank. And it's just something that's definitely beneficial. Like I keep a tea bag box in my, I have an oxalotl tote bin where it's just, I opened it the other day. I have an ungodly amount of stuff in there, but it's always good to be prepared. I have like tea bags in there. I got like all these extra air tubes. I got extra filters and like all these weird random extra things. So I would definitely make sure that you at least have one of those things. And even for fungus, you can um, boil the Indian almond leaves the same way you would tea and use that if you don't have black caffeinated tea. Interesting. I've, yeah. uh, I've heard a, like a certain type of moss, Java moss. Is yeah. that it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That, that has similar properties as Indian almond leaves. Have mm -hmm. you found that yeah. research as well? Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, your reptile arc. Let's yes. let's touch on this real quick here. Mm -hmm. Um, before we get going, what are what are what are you doing? What are your plans? What are you actually keeping besides axolotls? Because we've talked, mm -hmm. we've talked for two hours on axolotls. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah. What what's going on over there? So my plan is, um, for right now, I've been basically just doing extensive research on how to actually like execute this plan, like get it going because I was in college for years and then it's just like spending thousands of thousands of dollars just to get prerequisites done and then going into like herpetology or field work. It's just like to own my own business. Why do I need 
all these zoo degrees or all these certain things when it's just like all these animals that I'm going to wind up keeping aren't things that I'm going to learn in college. Like I would love to like go to college for it, of course, but it's just like, I've spoken, what is it, to the Herpeticultural guys on their podcast. Um, I yeah, Justin awesome. Smith and uh, Jacob yeah. Bratz and yeah. Phil Wolf. we've had two of the three on. Bill Bradley, <laughs> right. we've had three of the four on, my bad. Right. Um, I, they're awesome. I really enjoy listening to them. They're so funny, too. But, like, um, I spoke to them and I said, I'm going to be honest, like, going to college for something that I'm looking for just doesn't seem it, and especially being with someone that has like a learning disability with math and doing all of that math just to get out of prerequisites and then going to transfer over to UConn just wasn't it for me. And then um, they were like, this is, if it's, ugh, if it's something that you're really interested in, half of the people that are really up there and reputable and great people have done it themselves through countless amount of mm -hmm. research, countless amounts of definitely mistakes and great fortune and learning off of other people and trial and error and owning pets. He's like, you know, this is mm -hmm. something you're really good at, you know, like you can definitely do it. And I was like, really proud that like, you know, they were like, you can definitely do it. Of course, a degree would make anyone look better, but like, there's no point in college for certain things. Well, and, 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 and I, and I, and I, you know, when I went to college in the seventies, I went 75 through then the spring of 80 and I got two degrees, but did I learn anything of any particular one species in depth? We're mostly taught about, right. um, uh, the broad concepts, you know, of, mm -hmm. of habitat, um, um, control. And, and then, you know, once you get the job and you're in the field, is when you know you're you're going to be studying the species that you're where you're hired that particular county or state you know then you start really researching the species you know it, it's once you're out there in the field you know right. but um you know um just like um i'm working with these biologists that are tapping into um we hobbyists to help mm -hmm. them with censusing and um, because, you know, college doesn't give you time to really get into the nitnoids of one particular species, right. you know, the, you know, we may study them out in the wild, but we don't have, you know, um, then what do we do, you know, when we bring them into captivity? I mean, that, that it takes experience. Right. It's like, how exactly am I going to take care of this thing? Like if right. I did all of this and now I'm here with this, like, but what exactly do I do? With right. It? Yeah. And so, and uh, so then with your, um, your, you know, your, uh, um, reptile and amphibian center, um, what are your plans? My plans are basically to, um, my husband and I are basically going to do our education ourselves, join a bunch of groups and societies to learn. I basically know bits and pieces of pretty much almost everything, but I know I can learn more in depth, especially like depends on like, you know, what I want in my shop. Cause we want like, um, you know, like a nice mom and pop shop where it's like you have like your well-bred health tested. Um, I go for, of course, color is a very important thing in the hobby, but health mm -hmm. comes to us first and then colors later. So we want to have like a variety of different things. Maybe like, I'm gonna, I don't believe in care. Like, in, I don't believe in like the levels. I don't believe like, oh, this one's easier than this. You should get this because it's easy. It basically comes down to, like I said, your research because a mm -hmm. leopard gecko isn't easy to take care of for some people. Right. I've said it before. You keep, you need to keep what you want. Um, exactly. But you also need to know what you want is. 
Um, so like if you want to scrub python that thing's going to be mean and try to bite you and right. when it's and when it's 13 foot long and coming at you are you going to want it um, <laughs> you know that's that's it exactly so, mm -hmm. i get that exactly. <laughs> so basically we're going to have i guess you want to say um certain levels of people like you know we're going to have like you know your beer and dragons your leopard gecko some ball pythons are like i it, I'm one of those people that kind of wants to shy away from those because to me they're very common. It, that's why I tend to not want to go towards that route, but I will have a few because I know people want them. Um, but my main focus is I really enjoy carpet pythons and monitors. So I kind of want to gear towards, I'm a, I'm a psycho. Like I want an emerald <laughs> I don't know. Like you hear I'm that, like, Matthew? You're a psycho. Uh, apparently, <laughs> I'm so bad. I, like, I just yeah. My just... husband just bought this enclosure, and I'm like, I'm putting an Aki in that. He's like, yeah, heck yeah. Like, I'm just like, they're the first door because I've never had a monitor before. So that's we're gonna start slowly um, buying supplies and doing more research. I've researched them before, but it's like I haven't done it in a while. So I want to like revamp like my brain with it, and then slowly buy things, and then buy um hopefully go to an expo if I can find them in an expo. It's very hard for around here. But um, basically I kind of want to have a little bit of everything, maybe some kind of like uh, more exotic things, but make sure that the animals come from captive bred, not wild caught. I want to make sure that like, I'm not feeding into taking away from wild populations because mm -hmm. the whole point I want to make is like, the animals that I have or I get sent to me need to be captive bred. I don't want to be harming mm -hmm. the wild caught. Cause it's like, that's the whole mm -hmm. purpose that I feel like a lot of the herp community is trying to do is breed these rare certain things to have. So you could stop taking them from the wild. Yeah. Which right. seems to be the humongous problem. Mm -hmm. So that's um, one of the factors that we want to do. Um, mm -hmm. We do, we live in Connecticut, but we don't want to start it here. Um, the laws here are very dumb when it comes to owning certain things, a lot of the monitors mm. that I want are illegal here. Mm. Uh, my end goal going to sound crazy is a black throat <laughs> monitor. I'm obsessed. <laughs> I'm obsessed, but I know, and I can admit it that I'm nowhere near ready for that. And I refuse to buy any animal that I know that I'm not prepared for. Just like you said before, mm -hmm. where it's like, are you ready for it to like, you know, attack mm -hmm. you at any point where it's like how some animals, they change from like going outside into regular sunlight and they go wacko or like, you know, so it's like a <laughs> lot of lots of things, of things. lots right. of things. And if I'm not willing to think about these questions or if I have a what if, or if I'm scared, I'm not getting it. So yeah. in my shop, we'll have like a variety of, um, you know, different types of terrariums. I want to stay bioactive for as much as I can because I mm -hmm. like the natural aspect. But of mm -hmm. course, like if people want the more simple setups, but still up to par to where an animal can thrive and not survive, which is great. Um, basically just educate them as best as possible. I plan on having like um, educational packets, the, not the silly obnoxious ones you see in like petco like in depth like you know oh my god those things just reading a savannah monitor it's like oh it feeds meat and this is and that I'm like you feed a savannah monitor a diet of meat and they're going to die they're going to get fatty liver disease and obese and they're going to die mm -hmm. and it's just like people like even it just blew my mind that like you know a three to four foot monitor can survive on bugs it, it dry it's crazy that's, that's all they live on and they're 30 bucks a piece so, which is wow. not okay because they're all uh, wild they're, caught. 
they're all. I was about to say because they're not bred in captivity. Right. Exactly. Um, I think I've only seen one successful dude out in Texas that bred them, and that was Mc- his only clutch within like a decade. I think McCurley's bred them. I thought Kevin up at Nerd. I thought Camp Cannon is breeding some monitors, but I can't remember which species. Hasn't he? Um, I don't know. Um, I thought, yeah, I thought, thought he had some. So, in are you uh, are you looking into venomous for your arc or? See, that's such a hot topic with me. It is. Um, <laughs> it is a very, so this is another reason why topic. I don't want to live in <laughs> Connecticut because obviously, which I com- I understand laws and prohibited for certain things in certain states for certain reasons. I'm not going to sit here and argue with laws that do make sense. And then you have some that are just dumb. Like I think certain monitors are illegal here because one escaped and it attacked a child. So it's like, I can understand that. But at the same time, that's not something that a whole community should be punished for. It's right. kind of like one idiot did something wrong, and right. how how so big like, a monitor was it? I think it was an child. Asian water monitor. So four to six so, feet. Ooh. Yeah, so it was pretty big. Um, I believe it was one of those. Um, this was years ago, but um, so it's mm. like I understand, especially me having young children. I would definitely be very pissed off that that happened. Um, but we're looking at West Virginia, where. They're, they have no loss. None. By, I contacted... Um, <laughs> my thing is, I con- especially because I want my business to thrive, I always email the states, uh, wildlife fisheries, the deep, whatever yeah. it takes mm-hmm. to understand the animal laws, get them all. Like I need to know them all, especially the gray area. Because in Connecticut, I was just told by um, this exotic guy down at Slytherin Swim, he was like... Um, yeah, you can get black throats in Connecticut. You just have to be in a certain county. And I'm like, please don't tell me that. Like, that's one of the lizards that I want. Do I want it now? No. But the fact that is, I thought it was illegal. He's like, yeah, just like some of the big snakes are illegal in Connecticut, but in some counties they're legal. And I'm like, how does wow, that make that's, sense? Yeah, that doesn't make sense. It's if, weird. If it's, like, if it's... I think Burmese and reticulated pythons are illegal here. Like the big, big, big yeah. ones. Yeah. Because well, usually wildlife laws. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, though, wildlife Because they, right. they can't live there. So, wildlife <laughs> laws are state laws. Oh my God. Just so. like I was talking right. to my husband, no I'm like, please tell me if pagan. any lizard, we have one species of wild lizard here, and that's the five line skink. That's the five line, I think, yeah, five line skink is the only lizard we have. And I'm like, hmm. that you can't even see the thing. Does it even exist? I have no <laughs> idea. I've seen pictures of them, but I, in my freaking all these years of life, I've never seen one. But like, um, <laughs> It's just in West Virginia, the only thing that I found unfortunate, which I understand, you are not allowed to keep any type of native species at all. It's prohibited, which I do agree with because they want to preserve their wildlife and I completely respect it. But it's like sometimes it's like. <laughs> I'm, I'm I, you know, and then you got Tennessee right there, which right. will only allow you venomous wise to keep native things. Right. So yeah, in oh. Tennessee, mm-hmm. venomous wise, you're oh, only yeah, allowed to keep wise, yeah. keep native, and you're allowed yeah. to keep native species as well. But like, they they really strictly allow you to only do native things, and they're like, right. yeah, no, they push more for that because if it for gets all... out okay. in Tennessee, just, yeah, because okay. right. if just... it gets out, it's not really harming anything. And it's yeah, it's there. just gonna go yeah. and live its life and be fine. So, right. And then you have um, like Florida, which I really is crazy laws. 
But like yeah. with Florida's me, changing it's like, their laws just this yeah. week. They just changed a bunch of stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Florida's a hot mess. I can't. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of US ARC stuff going out on that. Make sure. Oh yeah, I've been US trying to follow arc. it, but I'm I'm a I'm a member of um, US ARC as well. But like I've been trying to follow it, but it just I'm trying to let it die down a little bit so I can actually read it because there's a lot of like especially US ARC Florida like there's like a lot of back and forth. So I like to read it when it's all done for the night and then follow up on the next day but like with mm -hmm. the native species it's like it is upsetting but like um someone told me for my program you could do, obviously do powerpoints and stuff because my educational program i want to basically it's going to be basic because i'm not i'm not a college professor i'm not going to get deep down and be like you know yeah i'll do anatomy and physiology behavior but i'm not going to be like okay this vein does this thing to the brain and this this, right. and this. So <laughs> i'm it'll be a program for um people of all ages, even children to mm -hmm. adults. Um, I want to basically preserve wildlife conservation and help promote a healthy biodiversity. We can do, um, I was thinking like, obviously we're going to have to sign waivers because if you're going to come out on a nature hike, you're going to sign a waiver in order to go because I'm not going to be responsible for what happens to you or your children or everything. Like I'm going right. to cover myself. And then obviously, you know, I want to promote healthy lifestyle for children. Like get erase that negative stigma especially you don't know what it is you don't touch it like i knew right. like a lot of people grow up grew up in that time where like especially myself i'm gonna go out and i'm gonna touch this but it's just like my family wasn't like you know keen on like what reptile species or like what venomous is this and this and this i tell my children i'm like if you see a snake in our yard do not touch it i don't care if you know what it is I said, you better look with your eyes and not your hands and you can come get me. So like I can properly identify it myself and we can talk about it. And it's like with me, it's like, I'm not just going to like run after it and like try to catch it. It's like, if I can like, you know, go up to it, it's going to let me pick it up. I'll pick it up. Like my husband just saved a garter snake when he was doing um, lawn work. And like, I picked mm -hmm. it up and I held it, showed my kids and I was explaining like what they were and like, they were very invested in it. But, um, Basically, I kind of want to have it a hands-off nature walk. And, like, basically, I heard of people learning more when they're more hands-on, more out into nature. They'll have, like, a better experience of learning it rather than a PowerPoint. So it's like, mm -hmm. you know, I want to have, like, arts and crafts for kids. And, like, if I can, I'm going to use my own shop animals as um, ambassadors. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, okay, so it's like today's segment, we're going to learn about bearded dragon care or leopard gecko care. And like, we'll have them in like a tank and like, we'll talk about it, answer any questions and like prepare and pe set people up for success. Not just like the basic thing, be like, okay, you know, like you have any questions, we're going to answer them like about like their husbandry or their brumation period or lighting or substrates and diets. Like I want to make sure that I can basically explain it in a way that a child can understand it to an adult standpoint because it's mm -hmm. like you know how children are it's like they want them as soon as they see it they're like i want that <laughs> yeah so it's like i don't blame them but it's like i want to do it so it's like the parents get the most out of it but the kids are also enjoying it so it's mm -hmm. like you know I want to make educational packets for them to take home for like any animal that they bring home 
So it's like they can, you know, get the in-depth search and be like, you know, I'm not your research. You definitely need to go home regardless if you take this packet or not. I want to make sure that you're setting your animal up for success. And I spoke to my husband about this and I said, I want to have a rule that says if you buy these animals for me and you can no longer take care of them, please bring them back. I am not going to sit here and judge you. I understand life happens. I understand finances happen. Or if you're like, okay, I simply really just don't like it whatever it is, I'll respect you enough. And I will appreciate that you bring them back. Mm-hmm. And someone that would be willing to want them will want them. So like, mm-hmm. I don't want people like setting themselves up for failure or ruining their life more or, or let alone putting the animal in danger. And mm-hmm. um, basically we'll do um, bioactive um, lessons. I was even just saying like, um, once we get that far, because I know it's expensive, like do like those tiny, like little praying mantis bioactive enclosures that are like $40. If people mm-hmm. want to come to like learn about a bioactive setup, we can get a bunch of supplies and we can learn how to do it. It's like pretty much almost the same for every bioactive enclosure minus a different kind of substrate. The layering is pretty much the same. You mix it up. But um, just basically teaching people how to do things properly, because I feel like groups and forums and stuff give you such different information. It's like, even what I say is going to be completely different from what so-and-so says. I won't talk down on, especially someone that's done something more than me, but like, you know, when something is very wrong, regardless if you've been in it for a while, just like I, some guy told me that I needed to go back to school because I told him that, um, he was complaining about his bearded dragon having metabolic bone disease. But I told him that it doesn't seem like he's getting the proper diet or, you know, he's not getting the vitamins that he needs in his food. You know, he needs a wide variety and you're keeping him in a 20 gallon tank with no substrate. And I said, that's not really acceptable for a bearded dragon. They need like a hundred gallon or more tank. Yeah. And then people are like 40 is fine. And I'm like, for a juvenile, I'm like, I'm not, I'm like, okay. And he was like, I've been doing this longer than you've been alive. And I'm like, like, my age has nothing to do with this, but it just dinged in my head. I'm like, I'm not here to judge or to bash. I'm just simply here to be like, hey, I'm trying to help you with your problem. But if you're going to lowball me and, you know, make fun of me, then why did you bother asking for help with your (laughs) animal? Can it survive so like, in a smaller box? Yes. Right, Should that's it? Like me. No. That's like me <laughs> Can you survive in a smaller like house? Yes. Gallon. Right. It's like, you know, like, mm-hmm. let me just live in a porter potty or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. like, and yeah. then I just want to like, make sure that everyone is set up for like success. Like I'm going to have like the, we're going to set up the rooms to where it's like, ecosystem so it's like you know the jungle-esque ones are in here you got your desert ones in here so like the ambient temperatures i don't have to worry about the fluctuation in the heat and the humidity everything is like the same and then um with the venomous species that you mentioned um west virginia you can have anything you can even imagine um i thought about it but with me having young children and not knowing where my property is going to be at the moment i don't know if I want to take that gamble and I can admit, I didn't, I want people to admit that more that venomous species definitely is not for the faint of heart. They're not just no. for your basic 
oh, I had a snake, so let me go get this. No, it's not. Just like yeah. I tell people, there is no such thing as a beginner animal, excluding venomous species. They're not something to joke with. Their behavior yeah. is completely dif different. Some of them are just so irrational and just lash out <laughs> for no reason. Like, uh -huh. you can look at it, and it's already, like, freaking out. It's like, okay. They know down. they can well, hurt you. Right. They, <laughs> they know. know they can hurt you. Yeah. And, so and like, they're not afraid to. No. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, and that's just it. They're, other than they that, can. they're a normal snake. I mean, right. other than they know they yep. can hurt you. Well, and, and I, I have never had a bull snake or a garter snake come, you know, I, I, I sit on it, you know, I look around, I sit on a rock, there's no snake around, I'm eating or I'm, I'm working on set and I'm, I'm doing these things and all of a sudden I hear this slithering and then I look down and a snake has come to me and has curled up and about to strike. That has only happened to me with, with the rattlers. It doesn't happen to me with the bull snake. They just, they, huh. the moose, you know, they, they leave when you walk into yeah. an area. Bull snakes hide yeah. a lot though. Yeah. They do really well. Like mine, mine, <laughs> if you pull off the hide, if you mm -hmm. lift the hide on them, they are mad at everything. <laughs> so, which I, I mean, I'm happy about, but, <laughs> yeah. um, Anyway, so Peg, right, them. right. No, they, they just want you to go away. Um. <laughs> <laughs> just like I tell my son, like, you know, all they want to do is live. And then he's like, oh, but like people kill them. And I said, yes, because they're, they're very misunderstood. And I said, if you see a snake and it's angry, back away, leave it alone. Mm -hmm. Don't be touching it. Don't be trying to kill it. Because if you try to kill it, it's going to defend itself and you're going to wound, you're going to hurt yourself. And then. I'm like, you know, especially we have um, timber rattlers and um, copperheads here. They're oh. more up. Yeah, they're yeah. more up in the mountains. But um, I have never seen one. But um, we go hiking a lot. And I like to move rocks and stuff. But I don't let my children, especially now, since they're actually coming out of like their hibernation stage, I don't let my son, you know, go moseying on into like the woods when we hike because I'm like, anything can be in here. And mm -hmm. I have a snake hook for that purpose. So it's like, just like I like, I don't ever put my hands underneath rocks or anything. <laughs> like I wind yeah. up like using like the other end of the stick and moving things around. I'm just like, no, you don't. Well, and a little baby timber curled up under a leaf. You can just step on that. Yeah. And that's, right. and that's it. I mean, and, just and like you're big. my son, I'm like, it takes literally one bite to literally end your life depending on the species i'm like some literally give you 15 minutes to and, live bye and there's also a lot between living and dead and yeah. you get bit by a venomous snake and you're gonna be somewhere between living and dead and it's not gonna be a great time <laughs> yeah and then yeah. i'm like and then let's just say you know you do survive and then you have everlasting issues neurologically half the time or you lose your thumb or right. you know there you right. you're risking a whole bunch if you get bit right like a hundred percent a whole bunch it's not just oh it can't kill me whoop-de-doo no, yeah, you still could lose a finger. Right. It's not like a hog nose where they're rear venomous. Like that maybe make you a little inflamed, but right. not that. No, not that's that. why when, when people ask me, like, if all of your turtles became um, uh, venomous, what would you do? I go, bye. That's such a weird question. <laughs> <laughs> bye. For Those what if questions are so interesting. They're like, what if I'm like, but in my logical mind, I'm like, but it can't. But I wouldn't own it if it was. But like... <laughs> I am very skeptical on that because I know I would never be ready and I don't want to take that gamble with my life. And I know being nervous around a snake like that is not going to save my life or make wow. that snake's life very no. enjoyable. 
So and the second you're nervous, like, it's going to make the snake nervous. Right. And now you're putting yourself even exactly. in more yeah. danger. And it's, yeah. Let's just say I was like one of those, you know, snake people that has like all these years experience and degrees. It's like the snakes that I would probably own don't even come from the U.S. Like I would love a gaboon if I could have any animal. Who wouldn't? <laughs> but that, would. that's the one that right. you, like right. you shouldn't even like why. No. You're bit, you're bit, and you're bit, and you're done. Like that's it. Unless you have anti venom on hand, like you're losing your arm. They're cutting your arm off when you get to the hospital. Isn't that long? So it's like how am I supposed? Thousands of dollars. Yes, thousands of dollars. Right. Anyway, I should wrap up and do our closing questions here before we carry on for another yeah. hour and a half. Cause I know we can, yeah. I can see that. Um, <laughs> anyway, did you have any other axolotl related questions, Peggy, before no, we I, jump forward here? No, I, 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 I think I want to do more research. So I, I know, um, I, I'm curious. There was a few things that we, touched upon mostly about you know their wild situation that i want to look into it just yeah it sounds like a sad story it but is take away minecraft from your children guys <laughs> <laughs> my yeah. son has still yet to find them but he's like oh, oh man my friends told me that they're in minecraft i'm like well guess what you already have axolotls and we're not getting more oh. I told I told my kid I'm like come up with any questions you need for axolotls and I will ask them and he's yeah. like how do they regrow their legs I'm like well I'll ask that but and you touched on it but oh, the answer is science right. doesn't really even know. I've got a I've got a video for you <laughs> so, I forgot to mention a cool fact too oh go for it real quick and then my oh, closing questions quick. so. There's the Casper is a perfect example, and I'm kind of mad I didn't set up my blue light beforehand. He is a GFP, so which means he has green fluorescent protein oh, in his wow. body. Oh wow! So if you put on a certain light, it has to be safe, or else you'll like wind up burning them and like harming their eyes. Um, he glows. Wow. Green. Wow. So basically why this happens is in order to learn about their limb um regeneration and about like they can um inject it came from jellyfish so they got um my brain just um, <laughs> they inject certain parts of the body um with this green fluorescent protein that came from jellyfish mm -hmm. so basically what it does it it's like a bioluminescent that just lights them up. So it's like, if you want to put it through their circulatory system and then like cut off parts of their heart, you could see it coming back and like the protein will go through everything where it's like, you want to put it in their brain, see where their nervous system is at and how it works. And like basically keep cutting off their limbs and like learning how it regenerates back because the glow either glow or green protein is what it I get like you can use either or but um <laughs> basically because they used it in science so much that now it's actually considered um a trait like you could breed them now and they can have glow for us green fluorescent protein within their clutch of eggs like casper he's an albino oh, wow. so it's like you could sit here and look at him and you could see his little tinges of green there is tons of them that have the gfp um trait in them i find it very cool that that's originated from science and like growing back their limbs basically it's like their limbs grow back from like 
you know, you cut them off and it's like, okay, they grow back basically because they're in neoteny, which is basically like their larva stage forever. So they think that it's coming from basically the cells that come from being an embryo, like how from mm -hmm. like stem cells, yes. stem cells. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it's like, they're trying to figure that out and they don't create scar tissues with like their macrophages and everything. Mm -hmm. Like they don't have any, they don't scar. They just completely regenerate. Unlike us. It's like, okay, if we lose a limb, you know, we have that scar tissue, we're not going to grow our leg back. They, they don't. So it's like still an ongoing research that they're trying to figure out. And I just thought that was, it yeah, blew my mind once I figured <laughs> out Casper was a GFP years ago. I did so much research on it and I was like, that's why they do that. That's why he glows is, and that's where it came from. It's just, but now it's, it's just a trait cool. that floats around everywhere. <laughs> wow. So if you could keep anything extinct, not extinct, um, size doesn't matter money doesn't matter anything you have to breed it um what would it be oh god this is so unrealistic oh i know that's <laughs> that's the best like, part about it <laughs> right that's I'm the like, fun I part i love this question but i'm so unrealistic about it i would literally keep a komodo dragon if i could if that perfect thing did not wind up murdering me i like that <laughs> answer <laughs> what it is i love them just like i mean they're they're good Ugh, they're malicious i just saw a video of one like eating like um i don't know like a gazelle or something and it was like alive while i was still eating and it was just like this is yeah. great and i'm just like oh my god <laughs> yeah they the are they are I'm dinosaurs like, that's for sure yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. i'm like i would love to visit komodo island but i think they just blocked it off from people because they were smuggling their eggs oh wow yeah mm, crazy um wow. if you had any piece of advice for a new keeper coming in um, it can be axolotl related. It can be generalist related. What would your piece of advice be? Try your best not to let excitement get the best of you before doing your research or buying the animal. Even if you wind up buying it beforehand, which a lot of people do, um, don't be afraid to reach out and ask for advice, but also know that you may or may not get attacked and don't let that stop you from owning or thinking that you can't do it because you can. We all started from the bottom. We all make our way to where we are now. We, it's not like we've all been perfect and did everything the right way. We've all started the same. So I would just say, do your research, try to hold your excitement because even with the most best patients, the reward of getting your animal when everything is set up is the most beautiful thing rather than scrambling to get everything the day of and spending so much money and then worrying about setting it up properly and then asking questions later just mm -hmm. take the time do in-depth research and enjoy your animal nice I like that. Answer. <laughs> and then my final question comes from the show wild Kratz. i love um, that show okay what would <laughs> if you could have any creature power what would your creature power be <laughs> Um, I would want to say to hold my breath so I can swim longer. I don't know. It's just a weird, like, because the ocean is only so explored so much and you don't know what's in there. Not only that, but like the pollution and the garbage and the trash. I feel like if I had like a creature power, I would want to do that to be able to, you know, help see life that no one sees or maybe come upon a good discovery, but not tell anybody about it because it's going to get <laughs> But, like, you know, try to help, like, 
clean up the garbage because it's like there are people trying to clean up the earth the best they can, but there are people that really don't give a crap about the water. So, but water yeah. feeds our land and our animals and us, and I think it needs to be more cared for. Nice. Those yes. were all great answers. Yes. <laughs> we, we've got to have you um, on after you've moved to West Virginia and, and have oh your God, yes. <laughs> For sure. I really want to see that. Yeah. I, you know, I, I was a, a park um, uh, interpreter. And so what you had mentioned that, you know, we had to gear our how does Custer State Park manage wildlife to, you know, children and adults. So I really want to listen to your programs. That'd be great. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Well, Ashley, thanks for coming on. Yes. We're going to plug thank right after the thank you. Um, okay, we're going to start putting that there. Um, <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming on. It. I have had a great time. Yes, yeah. I, I did too. Thank you for having me. We're almost two and a half hours in. I'm going to be in trouble. Um, <laughs> oh, no, it's okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's my fault. I choose to do this podcast and I can choose to end it whenever I want. Um, <laughs> our curiosity and questions yeah. keep going. Um, anyway, so where can people reach out to you, find you, and uh, ask you any questions if they have any? I have a Facebook page and an Instagram page. So I believe, let me look this up here. I'm terrible with remembering all of this nonsense for myself. Oh, they sorry. are all linked down in the description below. Oh, excellent. Oh, good. Because um, Instagram and um, Facebook, I have um, my ARC business page. And um, basically, I just do updates from my animals that I have now. Any questions asked, even if it's like other creatures, like I can help you research it, find you the best research. I don't have to own the animal to necessarily know how to help you and that's another thing that i can't stand it's like you have to know this animal in order to take care of it it's like you don't it's like you can get that owner's aspect of course with the trial and error but i feel like generally you can help people try to find the best advice or where to go to find the best advice yeah care mm -hmm. care requirements are in a range and as long as you can find that range right. and exactly. be accurate with it then exactly you should be good exactly. well peggy uh yes. If people want to reach out to you, where can they do so? On Instagram, I'm Detmers Studios. And on Facebook, I'm Peggy Ann Detmers Artist. And also my that's my art part of me. And then my reptile is Black Hills Turtle Forum on Facebook, too. Awesome. And as for me in the podcast, you can reach us at Herp Talk Radio on Instagram. Uh, we have a Herp Talk Radio group on Facebook. Join that. I post some articles in there every now and then. We don't talk about them on the show because, well, <laughs> we just don't. Um, <laughs> anyway, go check those out. You can watch the show live on Facebook, too, in the group. Um, if you do have any questions, Ashley's in the group. Feel free to reach out to yeah. her through the group. That's what it's there for. Um, that's all we have. We'll see you next week here. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you, guys. <laughs>